So the band is back together. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Good morning, um, Josh. Good morning. Um, did you do a fine job in holding the fort down while the highly acclaimed and esteemed talent was away <laughs> doing its thing for a week? Already of, um, starting with the jokes. Uh, of, of rest and relaxation and, I, and, and getting drunk. Um, <laughs> I listened to the show very carefully from the comfort of my bed. Okay. And everything worked as, as planned. It did. Good deal. Good deal. Good to be back. Uh, it is indeed the second half of the year. I was thinking about things that have changed since we've been gone, things that haven't changed. I think the Braves lost one game <laughs> while we were away. Yeah. But that's a, that, that, I'm telling you, I got to give Rev credit because he and Cato, our old buddy Cato, they're bigger Braves fans than I am. I don't think they've been Braves fans longer than I have, but yeah. they're bigger Braves that's fans. Fair. I mean, the historical context of the Braves, I mean, I'm a native Southerner. So I remember, I mean, I don't remember when the Braves moved from Milwaukee uh, to Atlanta, but I do uh, remember as a kid going to Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium as a kind of a vacation sort of thing. I mean, that was a big deal when I, when my family loaded up in the um, the Ford station wagon with the wood grain on the side. I mean, it was typical. What was the movie? You know, uh, vacation. Yeah, vacation. I mean, it would have been, you know, like that. Jump seats in the back. Are we there yet? <laughs> Back in a lunch. <laughs> Classic. Gas 29 cent a gallon. You know, um, my dad probably had 300 bucks and thought we owned the world. Um, good luck with that now. 300 bucks, you fill your car up twice. Mm. Um, it's just a different animal now. But I think I understand the historical nature of the Braves uh, better than Reb. But he is a more intense fan um, today than I am. But since 1901, I mean, we're talking about climate change. We'll get to that in a second with keeping records. I think the um, they began keeping records, uh, and I'm talking they kept some records before then. But in 1901 is when they really somebody got a pen and paper and said, "I'm going to keep up with this stuff. I mean, this thing might go somewhere. Uh, this game of baseball." So since 1901, there's never been a team that has had as two a 200 game stretch like the Braves have had. They're 138 and 62, I think. Uh, That'd be right. 138, 62. It is the best 200 game stretch in the history of MLB since 1901. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's I pretty wild. That. That's pretty wild. I mean, they, Rev, they're playing 700 mm-hmm. baseball I know. for 200 games. It, it's not for a week or two or three. I mean, you're smart enough to know, and you've been around baseball enough to know that uh, it just that doesn't last. I mean, you don't win two or three every time. You just don't. I mean, that's unfathomable. Nobody's that good. And that's the beauty and, and I guess the um the finicky nature of baseball is such that, um you know, the best team in baseball wins 100. The worst team wins 62 and loses 100. Um, you know, winning two or three is phenomenal. Well, the Braves have had 200 games of 690 baseball. And never before in Major League Baseball history has a team had not, not a 20-game stretch, you know, not a 30-game stretch, but a lot of teams have had that. I mean, a lot of teams have gone 24-6. and six. Well, I say a lot, some. Uh, yeah, a lot have done that. Um, some have gone 27-3. and three, But nobody's ever played 690 baseball for 200 games. And I still argue they are the best run sports franchise I pull for. I mean, my passion for the Gamecocks runs deeper. Uh, my passion... Uh, for the Packers, I don't know. That'd be pretty close between the Packers. Nah, I'd be a bigger Braves fan because of the uh, Woodgrain Station wagon and the jump seats and going down to the hot Atlanta, you know, in the uh, in the old days. 
But um, but I mean, they're to be congratulated. I looked yesterday. They're the 15th highest salary in all of Major League Baseball. Um, so they're not so doing so it the Dodger they're way. They're doing it efficient. Or the Yankees or the Mets way. Um, they lead the Mets by, what, 18 and a half, 19 games. And the Mets have a payroll of, what, 40 or $50 million a year um, higher. And and I just think it's a it's a credit to the way they run the organization. I have no idea. Um, Alex Andropoulos, I think, is the GM of the guy that gets a lot of credit for uh, the way they run that franchise. But, but you know, Freddie Freeman, gone. Dansby Swanson gone, and they replaced him <laughs> with all-star caliber players. And remember the day they let Freddie get away, mm-hmm. and you and Cato were freaking I was, I was out. Upset. How, how did they let that happen? Well, they didn't got a better and younger player. Yeah, and and you know Dansby Swanson. I read over the weekend that the thing with Freddie and Dansby, as good as they were, and they are. I mean, they're still phenomenal players. And I wish them. I wish Freeman nothing but the best with the Dodgers. I wish Dansby Swanson nothing but the best with the Cubs. Um, those are two of the perennial big market teams. You know, if somebody can go out and outbid the Braves for Swanson, it would have been the Cubs. If somebody could outbid the Braves for um for the uh, Freddie Freeman, it would have been the uh, the Dodgers. The Dodgers, Mets, and Yankees can outbid anybody. I mean, really and truly. I mean, if they want somebody, uh, but but it's just uh, I read over the weekend that Dansby Swanson and Freddie Freeman look like the guys that would tell the teacher five minutes before the class was out. That she had forgotten to give a homework assignment yet. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> well, I mean, they do. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're the all-American kid. I mean, yeah. they're, they're the, uh, you know, they just look like they, they have such a love for the game, and they're going to do everything it takes to be more prepared than anybody. But I, I, I thought about it. Okay, that does reflect. Um, and they meant it in a, in a complimentary way. You know, we're not here to take a free ride. We're not here uh, to get off easy. We're here to do the heavy lift necessary. See, I think the Braves have lost one game <laughs> since we um, since we last spoke live <laughs> and live in color to one another. And I was thinking about 200 games of playing 690 baseball. I mean, if you're a baseball fan and have respect for the history of the sport, um, you kind of go, wow. Uh, you know, tip of the hat to Andropolis and his team for putting a um, – but once again, it's not the best team money can buy. I mean, that would be different. I mean, if the Yankees, and the Yankees are always the Yankees, the Mets are always, well, eh, eh, the Mets are always the Mets. Um, I'm sorry, Mudflap. Um, <laughs> you know, the um, the Dodgers have been historically good, but, but the Dodgers, and I'm thinking of several listeners who, one in particular who, you know, loves the Dodgers, they should be good. I mean, in a game of free agency and the highest bidder gets the best talent, I mean, the Dodgers and Yankees should be good every single year. The, the Braves were purchased by Liberty Media. They are given an annual budget, and this guy goes to work and spends that money as wisely as he can. And for the 14th or 15th, uh, somewhere between 13 and 15 year after year. I mean, I've seen him as high as 12. I've seen him as low as 16. I'm talking about annual salaries. You know, the, the um, and, and, you know, you defer salaries, some players. I mean, they get real creative in, um, you know, deferring this money so we can sign this guy. You know, but, hey, my contract says you'll be a lot more at the end now. I mean, I'm doing this. Tom Brady was famous for doing that with the uh, with the Patriots, uh, allowing them to pay him not as much as he's probably um, worth so they could go get this guy or that guy. And then they would say, Tom, we'll backload it. I mean, we'll make it up to you uh, at the end. Um, the hottest record, the hottest days on record. Uh, I was going to say one thing about the Braves. Okay. I, I read this last week. Uh, Liberty Media is actually spinning them off. They're not selling mm, them. Great. They're not selling them, but they're spinning them into its own to their own entity. So now it's just part of Liberty Media in a way. It's a subsidiary. So I think it's going to be like it'll be publicly traded. You can buy 
shares in the Braves if you're Not a like fan. like the Packers. Yeah. That'd be fun. I, mean, I, I read that last week. I mean, I didn't do much research on it, but it, it interested me. Just one story. But the, I mean, they're, they're to be congratulated because, once again, I mean, they, Atlanta's a big city, but it ain't New York or L.A. or Chicago, for that matter. And I think they're just to be congratulated. I mean, when, when I think of, of guys that don't get the credit they deserve in sports today, uh, the one person that comes to my mind is Andropolis. I mean, I just think he does a spectacular job. And, and what he's doing is similar to Belichick in, in, uh, in New England. You, you let your really good players walk away when it just doesn't fit, you know, your budget, whatever your budget model is, however much money you've got allotted for. I remember when Rev and Cato got upset about Freeman, and I said, the guy you get is better, and he's younger. And, and you were like, yeah, but he's not Freddie. You know, right, right. he doesn't have that big smile. No, he doesn't have that big smile. <laughs> Freddie's got a smile that rivals John Elway. You know, <laughs> But Olsen has that big swing. <laughs> he knocks the breath out of him. Yep. And, and then this shortstop that just kind of shows up from nowhere. And um, they're just a very well-run organization. I was thinking about, you know, uh, I've, I've always said, if we were to put the people in charge of Augusta National and Chick-fil-A's all over the country in charge of the federal government, We'd have a different scenario or story. Um, but anyway, back in the saddle again. Good to be back. Uh, I am enthusiastically. I was thinking about this over the weekend, guys, and I mean this sincerely. For you who have to go to work at a place that you just really don't enjoy. I mean, the majority of us have to go to work. I've never won a lottery, nor am I a trust fund kid. I mean, my father did okay in business, but, but my dad made it explicitly clear. You know, this is for me and mama. <laughs> You've got to go out and, and get your own slice of the pie. Rev, Rev, as far as I know, has never won a lottery nope. and is not a trust fund baby. Same uh, with Josh there. So if you've not won a lottery and if you're not a trust fund kid, then you got to get up and go to work. And I was thinking about, you know, maybe Friday, Thursday or Friday of last week, I said, wow, man, I got a job that I really enjoy. I got a group or an audience of listeners that I really respect and, and appreciate. I, I, I'm not saying, hey. When the alarm went off at 4.30 this morning, I was like, wow, you know, can 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 my wife and I dance around the bedroom? No, I mean, it's, it's nothing like that. But but if you've got a job that you enjoy, consider yourself unbelievably grateful. And if you've got a job you don't enjoy, find you another job or figure out a way to enjoy it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, you know, I, I just... I, Sounds it, good. Yeah, but and there's a way to do it. I mean, you got to c- convince yourself that... You're blessed to live in a place that you can choose what you want to do today. Um, and if you don't like it, you can choose to do something else. But I think a lot of our lives or, or our jobs in our lives, we don't love because we don't love ourselves. We don't like because we don't like. I mean, I did a lot of reflecting, a lot of reading uh, over the weekend. I read a lot about politics, read a lot about um, other things. The, the most interesting story to me is the Ben and Jerry's ice cream story. You know, the, uh, we're going to turn over our land back to, in, in de- I guess they're going to carve out the factory where they make Ben and Jerry's <laughs> ice cream and say, this doesn't count. Well, the funny thing is, is their tweet was virtue signaling, right? Sure. And then they got called on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's where, that's what I want this second half of the year to be about. Is America ready to have a serious debate? I mean, we're, we're, we're going to be forced to at some point in time. I mean, I can, I, I can assure you with this. Now, is it this election or is it another election? I, I don't know. But but I was thinking about it as I read over the weekend. Uh, a couple of days I didn't read because I was a bit, you know, uh, off course. I'll just leave it there. Um, <laughs> too much too yeah, much sunshine and libation. <laughs> but at my age, two out of you know two out of nine isn't isn't bad. Um, but but is America ready? 
to have a legitimate debate with itself? Is America ready to be candidly honest with who we are, what we've turned in, and or, or into, and where do we go from here? I mean, I think that is legitimately, I mean, we've got some, some benchmarks now. We've got an August 23rd debate between the Republican primary candidates. We've got a, um, a caucus. I think the, um, the Iowa RNC, the Iowa Republican Party established yesterday, I'm sorry, Saturday, that January 15 is the day of the Iowa caucus. So that's the first day that, you know, um, voters will vote in support. It's a caucus, not, a, not an election, different there. Um, they will caucus instead of showing up at, at the polling stations. But we've got a couple of dates now. I mean, I told you, second half of the year is, is in my opinion, a better half than the first half because second half includes college football, Thanksgiving, Christmas. You know, but it's just it's a couple mm-hmm. of good so, – so we're in the second oh, half yeah. of the year. And, and I want us to consider, begin considering, whether or not we are a nation willing to engage in a serious conversation about our future. And I think Biden-Trump, I mean, it looks to me like that's where we're ending up. But I, once again, I didn't devote but so much attention, but but I, I read a lot about polling. I read some, um, I, I don't know, ext- try to extrapolate some of what the polling suggested to me. To me, it's inevitable. Really? I so mean, it, so it, that it's changed inevitable. because before, You're before right, the break, you, you, were, you were kind of thinking DeSantis would, would have his moment. He would rise to the occasion. I think DeSantis will have a moment. I mean, I think there will be a moment. That DeSantis appears just to be can't gaining. Overcome. I just don't see any way. I think there will be an heir to the Trump movement after Trump decides to hang it up. I mean, they, you know, there will be an heir. And I've got a guy in mind. I mean, it's J.D. Vance. I've said it since the beginning. I mean, I think he's more relatable. And I think he's lived in Appalachia. He uh, understands in the first person what the Trump movement reflects. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it looks to me like. I mean, it's something... If, if an indictment doesn't knock a guy, of course. I mean, I don't know. Do you put him in prison? I mean, does he run in, in a job? I don't know. I mean, it, you know. They that, might. And that's why. And I, and I do believe that DeSantis will have a moment when we, you know, we, we kind of go, wow, okay, this is going to be closer than I ever imagined. But but it looks to me like he's really struggling. And he's trying to do almost the impossible. He's trying to garner support of people who want Trump to be president and those who don't. I mean, how do you thread that needle? I mean, it's almost an impossible needle to be thread, and and people are beginning to suspect that he's a little bit too close to the um what what I'll call the 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 globalist, you know, the Karl Rove. I mean, Trump in a speech over the week or last week says um you know he uh, conservative ink, globalism, interventionism, uh, Paul Ryan, Karl Rove, China, Wall Street. I mean, that's that's you know you know what that is. That's dog whistle for he ain't one of us. And, and it looks to me like as, um, as much as voters were willing to give DeSantis a look-see, I mean, I don't think the Trump voter is opposed to DeSantis being a part of the political future uh, of the Republican Party, just not now, just not right now. And, um, and that's kind of what we'll, uh, we'll have to work through. So, yeah, but it looks to me like it's, it's Biden, Trump again. I mean, that's almost an inevitable election. I mean, I, I think RF, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., what will be interesting on the other side, Cornell West is, is probably going to garner some support of the, the folks that just find Biden to be uninspiring. But, um, but yeah, uh, Ju- July 10, as we begin the second half of the year, you, you've got, you know, uh, debates that will begin. I don't think the DNC is going to have any debates because they know Biden can't do much of a job at debating. But, but that's kind of sort of 
where it looks like we're heading Trump versus Biden part two. Is America willing to say that I don't like that guy, but he was a hell of a lot better at the job than this guy is? But that's the debate that I think America is going to have to have at some point in time with itself. I mean, we can't look to Ukraine, Russia, China, anywhere. I mean, this is this is introspection 101. And it really it, has to boil down to people thinking, was my life better with well, that and, guy And, and here's what people have to say. I mean, you know, I can't say this for you. You've got to decide this on your own. Um, I don't like Trump, but he was much better at the job than Biden. I mean, in essence, that's the debate. That's the crux of the debate that we're, I didn't ask you to like Trump. I mean, I get it. You don't like Trump. A lot of us don't. That That's the great misnomer in politics today. That, that, that they believe that 52% of Republican primary voters like Trump. I mean, that number's probably 33 or 4-5%. But there's 17 or 18% that don't care much for Trump, but they think he really may, was a good president and was, you know, um, <laughs> jobbed out of being, out of being reelected uh, for the second time. 843-661-0937. Love to hear what you have to say as we embark on uh, part two of 2023. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. Back in the groove. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Bob in Florence. Good morning, Bob. You're on the air. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome back and uh, good morning. Uh, I missed the opportunity because, as usual, you all start the program out talking about the Braves. <laughs> what about the Florence Flamingos? Yeah. Man, this Friday, great ball. Just great ball. They won four to three. Nail biter in the ninth inning. Bases loaded. Batter uh, 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 hitting the hitting foul balls. All going over the backstop. Finally connected. Got it out to the outfield. And uh, one run came in, and that was it. And they won the game in the, in the bottom of the ninth. But I got to I got to tell you, um, uh, I just really enjoy watching them. And perhaps if you guys followed them a little bit closer, um, might bring a little more people out to the uh, to the field because it was just great baseball. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate yeah, that. Excellent. Yeah, we, we love to see local um, entities or enterprises do well. No question about it. And, and we are we are local media partners with the Florence Flamingos, and we have a lot of a, a lot of partnership with them. Always interested, and they and they come on the show occasionally to talk about their. There are five game plans and different uh, events. But, yeah, every report, I've actually not been to a game yet. I, I want to get to one. Uh, but I've heard everybody that has gone and said it's a great time. Um, 843-661-0937 is our number. So I've not done much preparing for this because it's, it, it's, it's, it's lunacy. I mean, it really and truly is. So I, you know, every day I go to Real Clear Politics. I mean, even when I'm – off doing my thing. I go to the Huffington Post. I go to the Washington Post. I go to the Wall Street Journal. I mean, I didn't go to 30 sites like I do when I'm grinding on behalf of you, our listenership. I mean, I was more passive and more um, disengaged than I normally am. But the story kept popping up about the, the hottest day in the history of the planet Earth. And then the, 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 the next day, it's the, you know, yesterday was the second hottest day. See there? See there? I mean, this climate change is real. Guys, I mean, there, there, there are two words that they're leaving out of this debate. And we must demand that they include these two words in the debate, man-made climate change. I don't know anybody in my world that denies climate change. I mean, I've admitted, I think the oceans are rising. 
I mean, I, I don't know if it's hotter today. I mean, there, I don't know how you take the temperature of the planet Earth to begin with. But but it's it's so interesting to me that she it's kind of a, a a human psychology experience or experiment when when someone says that this is the hottest day in the history of the planet Earth. How many people believe that? And how many people believe it because they're told that? I mean, it, and that goes back to these debates that we must have uh, with ourselves and one another. The, the, the Earth is multiple billions of years old. I mean, I understand the new Earther. I mean, there, there's some out there that believe, uh, you know, in a, in a biblical sort of way. I don't think old Earth contradicts the Bible. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. Um, I know there's some, um, uh, what am I called, strict traditionalists, I guess, who disagree with me, and I respect that. I certainly respect your right to believe that the Earth is 2,500 um, years old. I'm one that believes that the Bible does not contradict old earth theory. So, so the earth is, let, let's, let's go with the old earth theory. Um, the earth is multiple billions of years old. Carbon dating. I mean, I wonder, carbon dating is a little bit like the, 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 um, the colorblind cheetah. You know, how do we know? I, I don't know. Somebody somebody with a nice suit, a lot of education said that's the case. You know, um, there, there's a certain percentage of cheetahs that are colorblind. Okay. Okay. Um, the carbon dating says, you know, the earth is multiple billions of years old. Okay. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> I mean, it's bizarre to me how, I don't want to say gullible and naive we are. I mean, we are unbelievably gullible and unbelievably naive. But um, but somebody says, you know, the earth is multiple billions of years old. And nobody says, how you know? <laughs> we just... We just say, okay, I mean, you're around. It's probably, he's probably right. I mean, the Earth's probably multiple billions of years old. So, so the Earth, hypothetically, let's go along with this argument. So, so the Earth is multiple billions of years old. We've kept weather records for, what, 100 years? Maybe 125 years? I mean, at the beginning, it was very, I mean, it was very primitive in, in the way we kept records. But, but now we're sophisticated. We're keeping records on what the planet's, uh, you know, what, what, what was the temperature in New York? What was the temperature in Atlanta? What was the temperature in Texas? How about London? How about Paris? Uh, you know, how about uh, Kiev? It's hot in Kiev right now. But, but you see where I'm headed. Um, and, and we've convinced a certain percentage of Americans that we know what the temperature of the planet Earth is from one day to the next. We, we've got this aggregate that, that we use. 62.7, I think, was what the record was, Rev. Um, now I heard another report, fifty-seven point nine, but but just the the insanity of that, but but nobody is denying climate change. I mean, you've got to be a moron to deny the climate is not changing. Are the oceans rising? I think they are. Why? Because I've gone to the beach all my life, <laughs> and I remember when the water stopped here, and it never got that high in Garden City. It never got that high in in Surfside. And that's a, that's a you know you don't listen to me as an expert. But, but I've been going to the beach. I'm, I'm nearly 60. I've been going to the beach nearly all my life. And I remember, you know, as the water didn't get this high this often. So, so I do believe that there are cyclical aspects about the climate. But, but we've, got a, we, we've got a group of professional liars. And here's the, here's the danger in this. The professional liars aren't the danger. It's the complacency of folks who should know better and should be um, more accountable to truth and reality. Um, but I read an article about Ford, and I think we may have touched on this um, last week. But Ford Motor Company is going to lay off about 1,000 employees and contract workers in North America um, because of the cost associated 
with this transition of electric vehicles that is really predicated upon a belief that, you know, man-made climate change. Once again, they leave man-made out of the argument. It's not man-made climate change. Climate change is real. No, but of course it's real. Man-made climate change. I mean, that's the conversation and the legitimate debate that needs to be had. Is the industrialization of the world leading to an increase in the Earth's temperature uh, to a place where I read yesterday, I think CNBC or MSNBC had a story about this, that um, the South could be inhabitable, uninhabitable, I'm sorry, uninhabitable by 2070. So, so if you're down South, I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're living in New Jersey, this may be good news for us who um, kind of want our, our coast back. Um, may, maybe that needs to be the ad campaign. From the great state of South Carolina. <laughs> hey, don't come down here to waste your time. We're going to be uninhabitable. Yeah, we're going to be uninhabitable. We're going to have to move up there to New Jersey with you folks where it's, you know, 10 degrees cooler on average. But Ford Motor Company, here's where the rubber hits the road. Once again, hypothetical, you know, sophisticated arguments and debates about people who really don't know what they're what they're talking about have led to a, uh, I don't know, a um, an evolution in our economy. You know, we've historically depended on fossil fuels to power our economy. Uh, we're told now that fossil fuels are a major contributor uh, to the climate change, the man-made climate change. Um, many of you don't remember this, but back in April, the White House unveiled uh, probably the strictest ever emission standards, including uh, some of the former CAFE standards that have ever been considered. It was done in an executive uh, fashion through the EPA. Congress does not have to vote on this. There's not an appropriation uh, part of this. So the EPA is well within its right to do what it did. But in April, the White House um, unveiled uh, what is unquestionably the strictest ever emission standards. Um, it basically said that the auto industry in America would have to cut emission um, in passenger cars and pick them up trucks by half uh, from 2026 to 20. 32. Now, let, let's let's see where the rubber hits the road. You ready? Ford lost about $34,000 per electric vehicle sold last year. I mean, they've got a um they've got a a, a division in Ford and, and they've got actually got a, you know, give them a little credit. They're being honest with us. Uh, their EV economics reflect a loss of about $34,000 per electric vehicle. They're expecting to lose about $3 billion in operating profit this year on EV business. The more EVs Ford sells, the more of a loss they incur. I mean, that's kind of staggering, but that's where we are. And and they're saying that the reason, I mean, they're being subsidized in some way, shape, or form, the remarketing of tax credits. Remember, we, we've touched on the profit center for Tesla has historically been, I mean, Tesla's turning the corner a little bit. They're not, they're not profitable just selling vehicles anymore, but they're, you know, they're not losing as much money as Ford GM or some of the other legacy manufacturers. But um, I'll say this, uh, driving in Florida over the last few days before I came back and on the way down, I saw more Teslas than I've ever seen. In Florida? In Florida. Well, that stands to reason. I mean, they, you know, it's a little more fluent than, than some of the other states. And, and I, I don't know if it's greener or not. And I'm not arguing whether or not we should build electric cars. I mean, I think that's that, that's not the debate I'm interested in having. But we're, we're, we're making unrealistic requests, the private sector. And the private sector is adhering to some of the government edict and orders, and, and a 1,000 people are going to lose their job. 
And they're not losing their job because they're not making good cars and trucks. They're not losing their job because they're late to work and showing up drunk. They're not losing their job because some labor union dispute. They're losing their job because the federal government is forcing the auto industry in America to transition from fossil fuel powered cars to electric vehicles, electric vehicles. And the more Ford sales, the more money they lose. And in anticipation of losing three billion dollars in operating profit this year on just their EV business that they're they're probably going to lay off another 2,000 workers or so so you're selling more cars uh it's a little bit like it's kind of a it's an odd reality of a balance sheet of an auto manufacturer um how's your EV business we sold more this month than we ever have good no that's bad <laughs> why is it bad because we lost more money than we've ever lost in a month in our in our um in our company's history and we're going to have to lay off another um thousand employees at our plant in Jackson, Mississippi or, or excuse me, Jackson, uh, Michigan or Dearborn, Michigan or some of the other um legacy plants in the Midwest where um w- you know uh, we're struggling enough now to manufacture I mean manufacturing's our kind of our blind spot, our weak our weak link in our um, manu- in our excuse me in our um, economic chain and we're going to make it even more complicated um, for Ford to be profitable, GM to be profitable, Toyota to be profitable. Now, Toyota's the outlier. And, and, I, and I know what you're thinking. Why are we talking about EVs? But because last week, or excuse me, over the weekend, the, the media narrative, uh, the liberal media narrative that have already endorsed this non-debate on climate change has said that, you know, the earth is as hot as it's ever been. And political leadership has said to auto manufacturers, a lot of this because of you and these damn internal combustion engines you're building and these F-150s and and half-ton Chevrolet pickups and GM products and Toyota. Toyota basically said, thank you, but no thank you. You know, I I get it that there will be a day that the EV becomes comparable to the expense associated with an internal combustion engine. But these these are realities when somebody on CNN says it's the hottest day in the history of the world, I mean, imagine that. As my mom famously said, how do you fix your mouth to say with a certain degree of um, surety, this is the hottest day the world has ever known? I mean, that's what they're saying. Once again, old earthers believe, and, and some, 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 I mean, this is not, I don't think it is. I mean, Josh, you're nodding your head. Uh, you don't think it's contradictory. To, um, you don't think the old world theory or old earth theory is contradictory to a biblical worldview? I you do think not. they're compatible? Yeah. yeah. I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive of one another. I mean, I, I respect those who don't buy that, and I, I certainly respect that. You're entitled to believe that. I personally believe in the Bible, Old and New Testament. I also believe the earth is multiple billions of years old. We've kept records for a little better than 100 years, and we're sure. We're as sure as we're standing but sitting behind this microphone that these are the hottest two days this planet has ever known. And 50% of America say, yep, CNN said it. MSNBC said it. The I, I am so motivated, and in my little way, to force this nation to have a debate about issues and become somewhat informed on some of these issues that, that historically we've just not shown uh, very much interest in or, or toward. 843 843- Six six one zero nine three seven is our number. We'll be back in just a few moments.
takes Mondays, 843-661-0937. You can't make this up. I mean, you really and truly can't. Whose mm-hmm. cocaine is that, Rev? Is that yours? No, not mine. Hey, <laughs> mine. Where'd you find it? I didn't find it. I mean, I, I don't know. Who, who's it? What, what cocaine? I mean, is it live PD? Is it cops? No, this is the White House, and nobody knows. Um, what, what was the, uh, John Prine wrote a song, and I know we got, a, we got our guest here, and we'll get here. John Prine wrote a song talking about um, Jesus, and he said that, um, you know, for, you know, 20 years of his life, nobody knew where he was. And John Prine said, the most consequential and controversial figure in the history of mankind, and nobody knew where he was. <laughs> nobody. Um, so, so, whose cocaine is this? I don't know. It's nobody's. Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. I don't think it's Ryan's, but he's with us this morning. Ryan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. How was your weekend? I am doing well. Had a great weekend. Had a great week off last week. So we're back in business. And um, one of the stories that, and I'm not trying to make light of it. It's a serious matter, very serious matter. But but there's so much uncertainty, Ryan, and it seems to be dancing around some of what we should already know. Fill us in. Right. So so the White House has kind of diverted a lot of the questions surrounding this cocaine that was found there to the Secret Service. But you did have Jake Sullivan, who's the national security advisor, come out last week and make it clear that, you know, this was not actually found near an active situation room because the White House has actually been using a situation uh, makeshift situation room across the street in the Eisenhower building because the current situation room is actually under construction right now. But still, this is an area of the White House based off what we've been reporting that wouldn't really be accessible to many members of the public. There, there could be you know, members of the public who can get back there, but they would have to be escorted uh, by a member of the White House staff or a member of the administration pretty much getting a, a special exclusive tour. So this is an area that, that does have a limited amount of people based off of what we know. But, Ryan, surely somebody's got to ring doorbell on, on the White House. I mean, there's got to be surveillance cameras in, in some of these areas that are accessible by the public. Is that fair? Yeah, well, well, but based on what we know, that, that there are, is surveillance footage of this area and that it's being reviewed right now. We just don't have any suspects based off what we've been reporting. Good deal. Thank you for your time, Ryan. Have a good day. Hey, you too. Have a good one. It's just kind of interesting. I mean, it, it, it's, it's got to be ring. I mean, somebody... Somebody runs over your shrub with their lawnmower, and and we see surveillance. Right. Now, now, Jake Sullivan said something interesting. I don't know if you saw this or not. I caught on to this. Jake Sullivan said, this isn't the sit room. I mean, that's the situation room. You know how they, they, they have their language or lingo. So, I mean, and remember Jake Sullivan. Who is Jake Sullivan? He's a national security advisor, but he's the dude that Hillary Clinton read poetry yeah. at his wedding. So he's got cover. He would be a made man in the mafia. He has nothing to worry about. He's in the club. So Jake Sullivan said that, you know, you got to understand there's construction going on here and workers were in and out. Well, that's what aristocrats do. I mean, that, that, that's what the elites do. They blame the worker. I don't know if you caught that or not. I did not. Yeah, but now it, that you it, mentioned it, when, Jake, when Jake Sullivan said, <laughs> you know, this this could have been. I mean, he didn't say that because he don't embarrass the, the little worker. Right. But, but in the good old days of Democrats being the part of the working class, he could have got away with that. But now they're the part of uh, the party of the elites and the, and the woke and the politically correct. So you can disparage the worker. So Sullivan says, if indeed this cocaine was found in the sit room under construction, Probably one of them damn workers. I mean, you know how those workers are. They come to work with hammers, nails, you know, nail guns, <laughs> cocaine, uh, dirt under the fingernail, and, and cocaine. I mean, you know, forget Hunter. I mean, Hunter would never do that. It's these workers who had dirt under the fingernail, sweat on the brow, 
and cocaine in the crotch. Um, 843 <laughs> I mean, the, one of the most secure buildings on planet Earth, I'm sure, with as much video surveillance as you can imagine. You think they would have had, had a chance to review it, and you think they could easily come out and say, well, well we can tell you who it, it's not, who it doesn't belong to. But, but it reminds me so much of the John Prine story. Prine wrote a song, Jesus the Missing Years, and Prine said, I'm at a party in Nashville, and the conversation turned theological. And he said, I'm not some real theological nor religious guy. I believe in God, and I'm quoting Prine here. He says, but in the course of the conversation, someone said, well, you know, from the time he was eight until he was like 31 or two, Jesus went missing. And Prine says, so one of the most controversial and consequential figures in the history of mankind went missing, and nobody knew where he was. Nobody. So, so one of the most observed buildings in the history of mankind, and one of the most pristine locations in the history of mankind, we found a bag of cocaine, and nobody knows who it is. No, might be those workers. You know they are. You know they are wearing them Carhartt jeans and red wing boots. Might be. Some of them good old boys that voted for Trump. See, that's what he's saying. Some of that crowd you can smell at Walmart. Might be some of them good old boys that voted for Trump that brought this cocaine into the uh, into the most observed and you gotta believe surveilled location in all of mankind. Blame the working man. I mean, that's the mantra of the Democrat Party today in America. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning. There's a bit more cocaine stored at the White House than probably ever got snorted at the Playboy Mansion, if you want to know the truth, over the past 50 years. Did anybody really stupid enough to think that's the first eight ball that's ever been, never been brought into the White House? I mean, you got all these rich people, celebrities, and everything else going in there all the time. Anyway, you know, kid, these same people that are talking about uh, climate change, they're the ones that are buying houses on the beach. There it was to fly the private jets to Davos, 400 private jets. One hour to private jet is equivalent to you driving your, your suburban for an entire year. So these guys are flying hundreds and hundreds of thousands of hours in their private jets, and they tell you that they don't care about the environment. Either, either they're very, very stupid or they're very, very smart, and they're lying to us. And you know where I fall on that. And I got to thinking about this while y'all were away. I said, even stuff like the sexual revolution that everybody thought was so wonderful, that was going to liberate women. Well, really, what what did that really accomplish? It destroyed the family, made people where they didn't feel like they had to get married. Then you started to get birth control. All of that designed to make us more immoral. And I was all part of that. You know, then you come up with abortions. Let's legalize abortions. Again, make it where you can have sex. Not have to worry about getting pregnant. If you do make a mistake, you get pregnant, then you have an abortion. More immorality, more sin, further away from God, destroying the culture. Then you destroy the businesses. The people at Ford know that this is destroying their business. They have to go right along with it. The people at Target know this is destroying their business. They have to go right along with it. All of these Budweiser, all of these people, and are they all stupid? Or are they all doing something intentional? Or is this all far more sinister than anybody even realizes, including myself? I don't even know how sinister it is, but I know that it is a dark, dark evil. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. Okay, let's stay there for a second. I mean, that to, to me, that's where we're headed. 
the, the, these things that are outrageous. I mean, is, is it not outrageous for Ford to accept, you know, getting rid of 4,000 employees to make a car the government says we must make? I mean, if we're not going to have this debate, I mean, we, we kind of had a debate with Bud Light, didn't we? I mean, didn't, didn't, see, that's a little bit, I'm not, I'm not encouraged at all by people, you know, taking it out on friends of mine who are in that business. I'm not encouraged at all about that. But, but, you know, a company made a decision that was counter to the, the beliefs and values of its consumer. And the consumer spoke loudly and clearly that they didn't care much for that decision. That's in essence a debate. I mean, it's not a spoken word debate. But you made a conscious decision. Now, I've argued and continue to argue it was an easy choice for the consumer to make. I mean, the consumer didn't have to, you know, decide whether or not they liked this car better or they liked that running shoe better or they liked, I mean, it was as simple as going to a grocery store or a convenience store and there's a domestic light beer and right beside it is what? Another domestic light beer and right beside it is, so, so you could act upon your impulse in, in the easiest way. It didn't take any work on our part. I think that's the great miscalculation that Budweiser made or Anheuser-Busch or InBev or whoever the parent company is. Um, and I, I would give advice to um, those friends of mine in the adult beverage business, uh, especially associated with Anheuser-Busch, your CEO ain't doing you many favors because he's talking out six sides of his mouth. And I think the only thing Anheuser-Busch can do is say, we made a bad decision. Hashtag our bad. I mean, we made a bad decision we 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 uh, we insulted the views and values of our consumer, and we're sorry. I mean, we're sorry. We we should not have done that. But but once again, are we going to have that debate? See see, that's why I'm a little bit encouraged. Um, I'm not encouraged that people aren't drinking Bud Light. I'm not encouraged that people aren't st- shopping at Target or, or Ben and Jerry's ice cream. But that's the necessary debate. When do the American people find some sense of uh, belonging? And, and as Bree said, maybe it's secular versus um, religious. I don't know. But I, I believe the eventual line of demarcation will be those who find, you know, a, a biblical worldview acceptable and those that don't. I mean, I believe that's eventually where we end up. And I don't think the Bud Light dilemma, you know, reflects that. But I do believe it's the beginning of America deciding to say enough is enough. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of an introspective debate, isn't it? I mean, help me, Rev. I mean, am I wrong there? I mean, that's somewhat of a debate that we had with our— And that was, yeah, it was, a, it was an easy debate, right? It was an easy debate. I mean, it, it was not—Rev's Rev, Rev's thinking about buying an SUV. And Rev's, Rev landed on this SUV. He really likes it. He likes the transmission. He likes the engine. He, he likes the, uh, the towing package. He likes the interior. He likes the way it looks, man. Okay, they've got to do a lot to turn Rev off. I mean, if he's got disposable income, he's in the market for a car, and this is the one he's decided suits his fancy for whatever reason. I mean, we all have different, you know, interests and different, uh, you know, Rev likes this, I like that. Uh, Josh likes one, Rev likes that. I mean, that, that's human nature. That'll never change. That's why they paint cars different colors and, you know, put different signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife will say, why would they want that? I don't have any idea. They probably want to know why you'd want this. You know, I mean, the, the, the people have different proclivities. That's the way it works. Sure, and that's called consumerism. But 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 for Rev to make a decision to not buy that SUV because that company did something um, in, in, in opposition to what he believes the center of his universe to be. I don't like that car as much, man. I mean, that, that seat doesn't sit as well. The transmission doesn't shift as good. Doesn't have as so much horsepower. I want to pull my boat. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, but, 
but Anheuser-Busch decided to offend people who walk into a convenience store or grocery store every day and find from one end of a, uh, a beer counter to the other alternative choices, one after the other. So, so my question to our listeners and an American general, are we willing to stop buying the SUV? I mean, we, we've shown we're willing to stop buying the beer, but we're still drinking beer, right? I mean, the Miller lights up, Coors lights up. What What is the other one? Yingling. Yingling. Uh, Moderna. No, not Moderna. That's the drug Modelo. company. Modelo. Modelo. Yeah, <laughs> Modelo. Um, Moderna would be the vaccine company. Um, so so you, you see where I'm headed. Um, I, I hope that the 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 easy debate we had with ourselves and and the marketplace, I hope we're willing to make, you know, another more distinguished choice about, I mean, ice cream wouldn't be hard. You know, you got, uh, what was it, Ben and Jerry's, and beside it, you got Bluebell and Agendaz, and, you know. Uh, you, you, so you're basically talking about sacrificing a little. Because if you're choosing one beer over another, like you say, it's an easy choice, and they may, you know, may, you may like it just as much, and you can, you know, you're, you move on with your day, and you enjoy your beer. Um, but if you ha- are invested in this, I mean, it's the perfect car, and whatever, whatever instinct you have that makes you like this car, and you decide to, okay, am I going to sacrifice what I really want, you know, for this, whatever, you know, whatever has offended you? Uh, to- what I mean, and it's not just the offensive nature of what I'm, the, the point I'm making is the debate. Are we going to debate these things or not? I mean, if America's not going to have a debate about man-made climate change, we're done. I mean, I, I told Rev during the break, so, so if somebody gives, if somebody gave you a billion bucks and said, hey, I, I got one job and one job only. It's your job to go figure out what the temperature of the planet Earth is today or tomorrow. I mean, who really believes that you could honestly go do that? $2 billion, $5 billion. Here's a government grant for $10 billion. This time next year, we need you to tell us what the aggregate temperature of the planet Earth is. I mean, to me... That, that's a conspiracy. How do you, I mean, I, I wish, and, and here's the interesting part of you that believe in man-made climate change. Do you have any idea how they gather the temperature of the planet earth? I mean, ask yourself that. I would juxtapose that question with what I've asked. And I think the fundamental to climate change and the reason we're talking about climate change is we were told over the weekend the two hottest days ever recorded in human history. Now, now, they did use the word recorded in some of the reports. Now, others just said the hottest two days ever on planet Earth. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, the, the, the hot, we're sure of that. You're sure now, right? I mean, gun to your head. You're sure these are the hottest two days that we've ever had on planet Earth. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. How? How was that not a follow-up question? And, and, you know, 93% of the scientists say, you know, there's a consensus about man-made climate change. Well, 93% of the scientists have been funded by, you know, the religion that we know now today as climate change. And, and the point I'm making, Reb, is there are real-world consequences. It sounds nonsensical. It sounds harmless. We're having, a you know, an academic debate about the climate and what we should do. I told Josh early this morning when— when um when we had some guests to be offered and um and uh, Jeff Manasse will be with us at nine oh five to discuss some recent surveys um that 
most Americans, a majority of Americans, don't agree with the Biden administration's plan to phase out gas-powered cars by 2035. I mean, imagine that, guys. We're 11 years from 2035. And the Biden administration, a guy who's never been known for his scientific excursions, right? I mean, Biden's never been the guy that we thought were, you know, I mean, he didn't, he's not Elon Musk. I mean, he doesn't understand reverse propulsion, you know, and, and thermodynamics and, you know, lithium batteries and ions and, and chargers. I mean, Biden has no, he's as, he's as harmless and clueless as I am when it comes to that. But he's president of the United States. And he's offered an executive agenda that includes no, no um, gas-powered cars by 2035. You want to really go down the road of um, what needs to be debated? Josh, help me here, because you're a little bit familiar with this. You've, you've um, impressed me with this. Is oil a fossil fuel? It is not. Mmm. Mmm. As we were saying, uh, it basically, the, the term fossil fuels, a lot of people have this misconception that it comes from like dinosaur bones and, and, you know, like plant fossils and stuff like that. But like you said to me, I can't remember the exact averages. Maybe you can correct me. It's like we're drilling for oil 30,000 feet Ish. and, and uh, fossils only go so far. 12. Not, right. 12, 12 13,000 feet. But, but see, fossil fuel creates, uh, whoa, rabbit ears, fossil fuel, scarcity, scarcity, price appreciation. That's the game. But, but we're not having these. I don't have any idea. Let's, let's have a fundamental debate. How many of you have ever heard that oil is not a fossil fuel? I haven't. And you're a smart guy. You're, you're a very smart I guy. That There's a very legitimate debate to be had about whether oil is a fossil fuel or not. I believe personally, and this is where I want to get kicked off the radio, I think oil's a liquid. And I think it's the most second abundant liquid on the planet behind water. And I think the oil industry created the concept of fossil fuels to, to, to you know, scarcity. scarcity. I mean, it, it implies Supply scarcity. and demand. Supply and demand. We run out of that stuff in five years. I, I can't build them or five. Oh, my. I mean, there's no telling what it'll cost in five years. And the, what, what the oil company's in for? Do you, believe, do you really believe the oil companies are in this to do the right thing? They're in this to be profitable. And if they create the mindset of scarcity, there is a very legitimate debate and very serious people in the world of chemistry and science that don't believe oil is a fossil fuel. Now, now you are a bright man, mm -hmm. and that's the first time you ever heard that. Yep. we we got to have these debates, guys. And we win some of these debates, and we lose some of these debates, and we're right on some of these arguments, and we're wrong on some of these arguments. The problem in America today is the refusal to accept a counter-argument to what the, I guess, the cathedral has decided um, for all of our sakes. Take a break. Back in a few. That petroleum wasn't what we thought it was, that it wasn't a fossil fuel, that it didn't come from fossil animals. <laughs> yeah. Is it just a mineral? Is it a mineral like any other mineral? Is that, is that how it, is that how it, uh, what would you say? Uh, how did it, what's the origin of, of you see, petroleum? <clears throat> When they first found petroleum, uh, because they were beginning to make motors and, and, and needed on axles of wheels on railroad trains and all that sort of thing, and remember trains started in the beginning of the 19th century, then oil went from a, just a lubricant to a fuel and it made it valuable. And Rockefeller happened to be the smartest man in the business at the time, but he made a lot of most of his money or much of it off the transport of the petroleum as well as selling it. But 
one thing they realized was if you because oil uh, oil is uh, putting a price on oil is like putting a price on a pail of water you know the, the, no no initial cost it's in the ground and and in those days they were some of it almost what you'd call surface mining the oil they didn't go down deep so in order to get the price up they hit on the idea that they would have to make it appear to be scarce that they that boy after we take the next few barrels out we're probably going to have to close as well you know that kind of thing but a very fortuitous event in 1892, there was a convention in Geneva of scientists to determine what organic substances are. Well, the definition of organic is a substance with hydrogen, oxygen, and carbon. And so it's usually a living substance, a tree. You analyze a dead tree, hydrogen, carbon, and oxygen and grass and so on, living things, animals, we are, hydrogen, oxygen, and carbon. So at this Geneva Convention, Rockefeller took advantage of sending some scientists over who said, oil, petroleum, is hydrogen, oxygen, and carbon. Therefore, it must be derived from the, uh, the spoiling, the rotting, of formerly living matter and uh, playing the game properly when the this scientific convention was over they defined oil as a, the residue from formerly living matter well that makes it a fossil fuel I don't know why they decided to use the word fossil but it says you formerly living matter it's fossil well of course today and, and and another thing we should know is that there has never been a fossil of a, a, a real fossil found below 16,000 feet and you can't argue at 16,000 as a level line because someplace the ground sinks and so on but 16 is what the scientists say 16,000 we mine oil or we, we drill for oil at 30,000 33,000 28,000 every day of the week so right there we rule it out that it isn't fossil fuel it's called fossil fuel for the minds of the public to feel that it is a, a, an asset that is running out being depleted we talk about depletion allowance which is a lot of you know and actually if you know the world's oil supply you know that it is not going to run out for an awfully long time it is the second most prevalent liquid on earth and, and we haven't begun to dig well with all that background you see the people in charge of the petroleum business for perfectly reasonable business uh, things like any other man in a business wants to keep his price as high as he can get away with and the way to do is just say well there's no more we we with the last barrel is going to cost a thousand dollars and then it's all done and and they preach that stuff what bothers me is that that in geology books, it's in there. The geologists say it's a fossil fuel. They, they've somehow they've been bought. I mean, you, I I went to a four-year federal staff energy seminar run by the government of the United States during the so-called energy crisis. I was the participant that represented the railroad industry. The airline industry was there. Every AA administrative assistant of senators and congressmen was there. The CIA was there, the Defense Department was there, the State Department was there. Sometimes sitting right in front of me in the row would be Henry Kissinger with his friend, um, uh, the, the head of the uh, Department of Defense, uh, 
Uh, it's too bad I can't put the names with them. But anyway, people like that, top men in the government sitting there listening to the Federal Staff Energy Seminar. Well, what this was doing is for four years, they were teaching a propaganda line to the leading people in this country and therefore to the leading people in the world, when you include the Schlesinger, Kissinger and Schlesinger, among others. And the object of it was, as Kissinger used in his own terms when it was time for him to speak, to create a world price for oil. In other words, not uh, 30 cents a gallon here and 90 cents a gallon there, but let's get a world price. That's their goal, and they're trying to do that for wheat and everything else. We don't realize what what the controls are, whether it's oil or some of these other things. Almost everything today is being categorized at the highest price they can possibly make it go. And so calling petroleum a fossil fuel is the basis for this system uh, with respect to petroleum. And, and I went, I don't know if the name Arthur Kantrowitz rings any bell. Arthur Kantrowitz is the head of the Kantrowitz Labs set up by the uh, AFCO company uh, near Boston, uh, Scientific Laboratories, and um, a great man in the scientific world. And Kantrowitz and I were sitting at a table at this uh, seminar once, and the table happened to be all young college grad PhD geologists. And so just to get a conversation started, I turned to Kantrowitz and I said, Arthur, what do you think about this foolishness of these speakers talking about fossil fuel. And uh, it was kind of put up. He started laughing. He said, you know, that gets me. He said, he says, I don't, he said, I don't have a geology degree, but he had a thousand other degrees. And he said, I don't understand. He said, you'd think and these heads, these other fellows at the table, we did it on purpose, start <laughs> listening, you know. And he asked, he said, uh, are you gentlemen? He says, you're here at the meeting. Are you gentlemen by any chance geologists? And one fellow, yes, I am. And the other, yeah. he said, well, why don't you tell me? He said, why, why is, why is, oh, you know, and he went on like that. We brought the house down because nobody could argue with Cantrowitz. He like, he like Einstein. People aren't going to, and he told him right there. He said, just drop it. But it's, it's in all the books and in all the papers. But it started from that strange meeting in 1892 a scientific convention. I have a big, thick scientific encyclopedia put out by the Devonostrand Company that's about oh, 15 years old now, but it has the whole story of the conference. It doesn't have the Rockefeller part, but it has the whole story of how they straightened out organic chemicals and how it was all figured, and they've got petroleum right in there. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, does that guy sound unreasonable? Does he sound like a nut? Does he sound like a goofball? I mean, you know, he's just, I, I doubt he lives in a, in a big house in a long driveway because he didn't uh, tow the company line. He didn't give the, the, the company narrative. I think it's so interesting that he basically says, I don't blame Rockefeller. I mean, I understand exactly. I mean, he did exactly what he should do, increase the price of his product. I mean, he's in the marketplace. And, um, and once again, why aren't we having, why have so few people ever heard? that there's a legitimate debate to be had about whether we're running out of oil or not. I mean, peak oil. How many times have we heard this? The scarcity of oil, uh, the, the the extraction of oil, and, you know, the dangers within. Um, I mean, he's arguing it's not even fossil fuel. And he's not. I mean, that's not an extreme opinion. There's a very legitimate debate to be had about whether or not oil's a fossil fuel. But you're not allowed to say that. 
Rockefeller was a really, really bright businessman, unbelievably successful in that world. But but Rockefeller believed, or if you believe this guy, and his name is on Fletcher Prouty, I mean, if you believe um, what, what he's arguing is Rockefeller did exactly what you would expect Rockefeller to do. I mean, they were having a, a basically a seminar in, in Geneva with a bunch of scientists and, you know, um, chemists and whatnot, and, and, you know, Rockefeller bought them off. I mean, he basically said, we need this to be categorized as a fossil fuel because we can create the mindset of scarcity. That mindset of scarcity brings price, uh, price appreciation, and we can charge whatever we choose to charge. Um, I mean, if, if, oil so, if we're so depleted of oil and we're in threat of running out of oil, then how can Saudi Arabia turn the spigots back on when they choose to? I mean, you talk about supply and demand. You know, we talk about the um, the margin of um, of how much oil the, the world burns and how much oil the world produces. Well, Saudi Arabia can address that today if they choose to. I mean, they can open the floodgate, so to speak. And out of that comes another million barrels a day or two million, whatever they need. I'm going to manipulate the the price. But, but we've been convinced that it's a very scarce product. It's in short supply, high demand, therefore $100 a barrel, $80 a barrel, $75. I don't know what a barrel of oil should cost. I don't have any idea what a barrel of oil should cost. But I do think we should distinguish whether or not it's fossil fuel. I mean, isn't that fair? I mean, we're, we're talking about, or you know. at least have the debate, right? Sure. I mean, let, let's have the debate. Why is this guy not allowed to be mainstream? Well, you know the answer to that. I mean, the guy's got a, a narrative that's counter to people getting wealthy. Game in the, I don't want to say game in the system. They're building a system. They're not gaming the system. They're creating a system out of thin air. And I don't blame Mr. Rockefeller. I mean, if I ran Standard Oil, you know what I would have done? I would have infiltrated that Geneva Convention just like he did. And I would have paid whatever it took to convince those people to be on my team and categorizing or labeling oil as a fossil fuel. But if someone throws out the notion today that oil is not a fossil fuel, you're marginalized, you're disparaged, you're not allowed to participate in a genuine debate, I'll just ask you again, did that guy sound reasonable? Did to me. How many, did he sound informed? Sure did. Unbelievably informed. I'll ask you this. How many people have you ever heard defend oil as a fossil fuel as eloquently as he said it's not? They're not made to. They're not forced to. And these are the debates. And that's what I really want us to focus on. I mean, you know, the, the debate, we've had one debate in America recently that, that I can think of. And that's Bud Light. But that was an easy debate. I mean, that was an easy debate for us to have um, in, our, in our own consciousness and in, in our own volition. I mean, we decided, and I'm not talking about me personally because I'm not. A lot of you have decided that, you know, you're not going to support a product that doesn't reflect your morals and your, and your values. Um, you know, I've said it before. I forgive friends because friends have forgiven me. You know, InBev uh, made a big mistake. I, I'd like to see them more aggressively apologize. I think that would be in their best interest. And, and I like for them to do what's in their best interest because I have friends who drive trucks. You know, they deliver beer. They run convenience stores. They own distributorships. And I don't wish any ill on them because they, they are as aggravated and angry as you are. I don't want to rehash that story, but they're as mad about this as you are. But they're not corporate. That They're not in the corner office at Wall Street. Remember, we talked about InBev moving about one half of their senior management team uh, to New York uh, to be closer to BlackRock or Vanguard. I, I would imagine um, that's the case. But but we, we've got to have some of these debates. And I think the most essential debate 
and, and a, that, that America will deal with in the next 18 months, uh, 18 months, Biden or Trump. I mean, I said this morning, and I'll repeat, I think it's inevitable. I mean, I spent some some of my vacation time looking at some polling data um, where, where DeSantis, he should be doing better than he is. And I think even even the political neophyte can agree he's the only legitimate threat to Trump. I mean, there's no way Chris Christie or Mike Pence or Tim Scott or Nikki Haley. I mean, I think Scott has acquitted himself well. I think Ramaswamy's probably acquitted himself better than anybody, including Trump. That's right. I think Ramaswamy, I mean, we talked about the I Atlanta Braves. Agree. The Atlanta Braves have had the, the best 200-game run in the history of baseball. I mean, that's pretty impressive. The best 200-game run in the history of Major League Baseball is the Atlanta Braves playing 690 baseball for the last 200 games. Ramaswamy's done that. I mean, he really and truly has. He spoke very uh, passionately, very very aggressively, uh, very informatively. I mean, I think people listen to him and say, hey, guy's done some research. I mean, he knows. I mean, he's, 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 he's a great, I mean, he's, I say he's a great orator. He's a, he's a good speaker. I mean, he's matter of fact. He's blunt. He's very passionate. He's informed. He's intelligent. I mean, he's got a lot of things going for him. Um, so, so I think Ramaswamy has overperformed everybody, including Trump's at 52 if you believe the polls, it's kind of interesting. The Trump voter doesn't believe the poll until it has Trump at 52. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many Trump voters are. Don't trust them damn polls. The polls will lie to you. Trust that one. Hey, that, uh, Trump's at 52. It's over. You know, <laughs> why, why not be on Team Trump? I mean, this thing's over. Uh, you don't trust the poll. Well, I do that one. I mean, I, that, that's the different poll. <laughs> that, that's a fair poll. That's not the, anti, the anti-Trump the anti poll. But it seems to me that we're heading off into a place where we're going to get a rematch. And, and if America chooses a demented, I mean, I understand not liking Trump. I accept that. I mean, I understand the personality. Uh, the, the only intrigue with DeSantis was Trump minus the drama, correct? I mean, I think that's what, I mean, if he could have sold himself as that, we've got a competitive primary. But for whatever reason, he's not been able to sell himself as Trump without the drama. Because it's obvious to me that America, excuse me, the Republican primary voter are locked in, laser-focused on this America First anti-establishment agenda. Take a break. Back in a few moments. 843-661-0937. Good to be back. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, as much as I enjoy the time off, I know that work is a part of our existence and an important part of our existence um, other than a couple of minutes, other than from 4.30 till about 4.33 this morning. <laughs> I've had a good positive attitude about being gainfully employed. Really? And, um, what and was going through your mind at that time? Uh, just, uh, you know, it's when been a alarm, long time. Alarm I mean, went it, off. Yeah, just, it's been a long time. And I still woke up um, early. I just went back to sleep. I'd stir around and move around and uh, make my wife mad. And then I'd kind of do, do my thing. But I mean, I still, what is it, the biological clock? Here we go. I mean, it, you know, when you get so accustomed to waking up at a certain time of the morning, it's hard to. I just, just throw that in the trash for a week and say, hey, buddy, stop doing what you've done all these years and stop start doing um, something else. But there's something about, you know, the, I mean, it's hot. I mean, it was hot. Maybe it was the hottest two days in the history of mankind, uh, in the history of the world, not just mankind, <laughs> really? the history of the uh, entire civilization. Somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. Jay and Nichols. Good morning, Jay. Hey, good morning, guys. I hope you had a nice vacation. Thank you, sir. We did. Hey, uh, you're talking about oil, and I got a few little 
facts. Do you know where the first oil well was ever drilled for? Uh, Pennsylvania? Yeah, a little town called Titusville. It's about 40 miles south of Erie. It was drilled back in, I think, the 1840s or 1850s. And it was all a 66 feet deep. Hmm. Not very deep, right? Not very deep. Uh, the Indians used to skim oil off of the oil creek, which runs through the center of that town. And Colonel Drake watched them for a long time and figured he'd try to figure out how they were getting it. He drilled a well. Titusville is the start of Penn's Oil, Quaker State, Arco, Phillips 66 Petroleum. There's so many millionaires in that town, you can't walk and not see one. Good deal. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the information. I did not know that. How did you know Pennsylvania? I just read somewhere <laughs> that Pennsylvania was home of the first oil well. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying you remembered that, that. What I mean, I'm not saying I'm sure that oil is not a fossil fuel. The point, I, and I'm being redundant, but I'm going to be redundant, guys, because this is what we have. I mean, this is on us, right? Um, I've got friends in my life that disagree with me politically, and we choose to not antagonize one another. I mean, why, why do that with a friend? I, I love my friends. I care for my friends. I want to see my friends better themselves. And, and, and when my friend struggles, I want to be there to help him. I don't want to, I mean, we try to not talk politics, right? I mean, obviously they have a perspective and I do. And, and we accept that we disagree with one another. The fundamental role of government would be kind of the big, uh, you know, we got these poor people, got these problems in society. They believe that government, they trust government to be, uh, their, their sympathy looks for an answer, and their answer leads to government. I'm sympathetic to poor people. I'm sympathetic to disparaged people. I'm sympathetic to offended uh, people. I'm sympathetic to uh, people who have been taken advantage of. I, I just don't know that government is the answer to those questions. The, the point I'm trying to make redundantly, and, and, I, and I've kind of landed here because I believe, and I guess the, the notion that I'm being redundant about is – uh, predicated upon my belief that we're going to get Biden and Trump 2.0. I mean, I just think that's where we're headed. I think it's inevitable um, that there's a little bit of me that believed that, you know, um, Trump without the drama would be a very appealing and attractive ticket. DeSantis kind of fit that bill. Trump minus the drama. Can we find that guy? Well, I think DeSantis auditioned for the job and failed. I'm not saying he failed at being a good candidate. I mean, I think there's still a lot to be written about his candidacy or not. But, but I think Trump without the drama. Name someone not named DeSantis that fits that bill. Because I wrote saying I, this is very intentional. I mean, Trump knows what he's doing on the hustings. You can say he's, you know, not reverent enough, not respectful enough, not presidential enough. I, I'll agree with you on a lot of those fronts. But, but there's a reason that Trump is starting to say things like, and I wrote them down, uh, individually, conservative Inc. He said that multiple times while we were on vacation. Globalism, Paul Ryan, Carl Rove, China, Wall Street. I think Trump is convinced. I think Trump has data now that has convinced him that DeSantis can't break through. In other words, he can't. Trump understands, guys, Trump's not a moron. I mean, he's outspoken, he's bombastic, he's narcissistic. He's not a moron. Trump understands that there's an appetite out there for him minus the drama. I mean, if you and I know that, he certainly knows that. Now, what will he will he publicly say, hey, I know I bring along a lot of drama and controversy and chaos and 
and I'll try harder not to do it next time. That's kind of his, I mean, that's not his modus operandi. I mean, he's not going to accept responsibility and apologize, right? I mean, he's going to, he's going to say, hey, you know, I, I'm the best there's ever been, and if you give me a shot, I'll be better than I was the first time. So, so I think, and I think that's the great mistake that those trying to understand the arrangement Trump has made with these voters is that he's perfect. He thinks he's perfect. We don't, right? I mean, is that fair? I think that's I mean, fair. Tr- tr- Trump thinks he's the greatest president in the history of mankind and the greatest man God ever created. You know, I don't believe that, but, but I'll vote for him a thousand times till Sunday because I think he was a good president and I think he advanced an agenda that, that made sense to me. It was kind of anti-globalist, anti-intervention. Now, I think Trump made a lot of mistakes. And I do believe there will be an heir to the legacy that Trump is um, building. And I'm talking about the movement. Forget the man. You got the man, you got the movement. And they're two separate things. And, and, and I may, maybe I was, I mean, it, maybe it was wishful thinking to me, because I do believe that Trump minus the drama gives Republicans a better chance in November 2024. I mean, I think it's hard to dispute that. I mean, the data's fairly empirical. You can love Trump 10 days to Sunday. I mean, you believe he is the greatest man and president that has ever lived. But you've got to accept, Rev's nodding his head, you've got to accept that Trump minus the drama is a very appealing and attractive offering to the independent voter. Yeah, the underlying movement. Sure. I mean, that, that, no question about it. Can we do this without all this damn drama, man? <laughs> you know, c- can we talk about American manufacturing and the American working class and the American way of life and the deindustrialization? And, you know, the, the, this ridiculous transition from fossil fuel to green energy. I mean, can we do that without all this drama that you bring about? No, not with him. I mean, there's no way you're going to do it without the drama as long as he's a part of the equation. And and, and those who said, and I didn't agree with this, and I'm wrong. I mean, I, I'll readily admit I'm wrong. I thought that there was a chance for DeSantis, and it may be still a chance. I'm not writing him off, but it looks inevitable to me. Because Trump has been indicted and didn't lose any steam. I mean, you're going to have a trial. It, it, you really believe that when Trump gets a chance to tell his side of the story? Now, now the media probably won't report on that. But but an indictment, Trump went from 49 to 52. And it was not a sugar high. I mean, it was not one of these, um, I'll defend my guy. Remember that morning I came in and said, man, as much as I want to consider DeSantis, they're going to Trump me back. They're going to turn me back into a hardcore Trump voter. I'm not a hard. I'm not a hard Trump voter. I'm a hard America firster. I mean, I'm as hard as they come when it comes to kind of an agenda. And I think Trump could have done much better. And I think. I mean, I'll say this and probably aggravate some of our listeners. I think Trump gets too much credit for the advancing of a platform, an agenda called America First. I think J.D. Vance speaks to America First much better than Donald Trump does, but he's not this intoxic, you know, this larger than life personality. But don't so, you kind of need somebody who's has course. that strong personality? No, no doubt about it. Because there, because there's forces fighting against, obviously, not only Trump, but part of the America First agenda, right? They're pushing back on that very hard. So you need somebody who's got bombast and strength and who's not afraid to fight a little bit. No, no question about it, but does that appeal to independents? I mean, I didn't say that I think the, the the contest, the inevitable contest between Trump and Biden was going to lead to a Trump victory. I mean, I think there's still a lot of independents and some Republicans. I don't understand the Republican who says I'd rather have Biden. I mean, you're just not a Republican. I mean, I, I'm not here to be judgmental. I mean, you can do whatever you choose to do. You have your vote. You have a right. But but don't, 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 don't 
in the most condescending way imaginable say, you know, I mean, it's, it'd be a little bit like, I mean, this is a kind of an illustration I've given others. I'm a Gamecock fan. I'm a Gamecock fan whether Spencer Rattler's the quarterback or Steven Garcia's the quarterback. Quarterback controversies. Let's say you're a Gamecock fan or a Tiger fan. The Clemson had a kind of a quarterback controversy this past year, right? I mean, they had this kid that was um, kind of the heir apparent to the throne. He didn't perform well, had this other kid, young kid, comes in, kind of saves the day, looks better than the other guy. Um, trying to think of uh, El Cinco. What was his name? Uh, big guy from out west. Anyway, transferred. Uh, he was the quarterback, made a lot of mistakes. People couldn't understand why is he. But, I mean, I don't remember Clemson fans saying, okay, I'm going to pull for the Gamecocks now because they won't play the quarterback that I think they should play. I mean, I don't remember a single Clemson fan saying that, right? I mean, if you're a Republican and you believe in, you know, kind of the Republican orthodoxies, Trump represents 10% of those. It's more than Biden does. So you're not really a Republican. You're a self-dealing, self-serving insider, probably, for the most part. But I've never understood the rank. I understand the corporate Republican. I understand Wall Street, corporate America. I understand globalists, interventionists. I understand the military-industrial complex. I mean, you may be conservative in nature and oppose Trump because there's too much at risk. I mean, your livelihood's at stake, your, your, your business connections and your, your political associations. I mean, all of those are on the table. All right, we can't let this thing change but so much. I mean, I may not make a million dollars next year lobbying for Conoco or, you know, Ford or whomever, uh, the electric vehicle industry, whomever you're lobbying for. So you're not there because you believe in something. You're there to be paid a lot of money to do a job. I get that. I mean, you know, it's a little bit like, uh, would you not expect, uh, who are we talking about here, uh, Standard Oil, Rockefeller? Would you not expect John Rockefeller? I mean, if Rockefeller knows that people are going to gather in Geneva and decide something about the fate and future of the product that he's in the business of, I mean, do you not expect somebody like Rockefeller to try to manipulate or distort what reality? Of course you would expect that to happen. So if you're a conservative-leaning Republican, but you make a big living in the world of politics, I understand the opposition to Trump. It's a real easy for me to understand. But if you're a rank-and-file Republican and you, you kind of believe in a woman's woman, a man's a man, you know, let's do what we can to get the train back on the track and allowing parents to be empowered in public education. And I'm talking to, you know, not just rank-and-file Republican. The independents, I mean, at least they don't say they're one or the other. You know, I would argue that independents, I mean, it gives you a sense of independence to say I'm an independent. I mean, you know, the old days, it was 40, 40, 20, 40 were Republicans, 40% were Democrats, 20% were in the middle. Now that number is kind of 30, 30, and 40, 30 Republicans, 30 Democrats, 40% independents. Independents are cool now. I mean, it's in vogue. You know, you got to earn my vote. I don't pledge a loyalty or allegiance to any political platform or agenda. You've got to earn my vote. Well, I mean, that's, you're not really an independent. I mean, you've got a bias or a leaning. You lean left or you lean right. You may not be a hard Republican or a hard Democrat, but you're a Republican-leaning independent. Uh, you know, what is a Republican-leaning independent? You know what that is? A soft Republican. What's a Democrat-leaning independent? That's a soft Democrat. I mean, that's not, that's not somebody is called up in. I mean, that, that would be, you know, watching Seinfeld, not every episode, but every other episode. I mean, the, the, the person who watches Seinfeld every episode, they're genuinely independent. They make their minds up the day before the election. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, but, but that's the that's the every episode watcher of Seinfeld, the every other episode watcher of Seinfeld. I mean, they're leaning. They have this core. 
that they believe in something and then one party reflects what they believe in or the other party reflects what they believe in. But when I say Trump and Biden are inevitable, I'm certainly not insinuating, I don't think I sound like I am, that, that Trump is going to win. What, what, what I think is the, the most important part, if it is indeed Biden-Trump, are we going to have a genuine debate? A genuine, I'm not talking about let MSNBC decide for you. Let CNN or Fox News or the Wall Street Journal or National Review or conservative talk radio. I, I won't, are we going to legitimately as a nation debate some of the major macro issues that are before us? Are we going to debate climate change, man-made climate change? I mean, this is not a hypothetical any longer. I mean, you've got a, an administration that, that is issuing executive edicts, forcing businesses to change the way they do business. And out of that is coming a practical reality. People are losing their jobs because the Democrat-led EPA issued the most aggressive emission standards in the history of auto manufacturing. I mean, that, that's where the rubber meets the road. Th these aren't hypotheticals any longer. They're sitting in Obama hope and dream. I mean, you know, hope and change, I think, was this thing. Hope and dream is the Springsteen song. But it, it's not hope and change. I mean, they, these are, I mean, we're to the point now that the implementation of these things are going to have real-world consequences. And, you know, a 1,000 people at Ford have lost their job, and the reason they've lost their job, don't take my word for it, take Ford's word for it. I mean, Ford said the reason that they're laying off a 1,000 employees and, and will probably lay off another 3,000 before the end of the year is they're losing about $34,000 per electric vehicle. I mean, that, that's there. You know, that they've got a, a division now called EV Economics. Um, they say that they expect that to prove improve by 2030, um, but they expect to lose about $3 billion in operating profit this year on its electric vehicle business. They, they, they've got to make that $3 billion up. They can't make it in, in price concessions or, or price appreciation. So you got to, you know, you got to gut the, the labor force. And that's what they're doing. So, so the government is requiring a Ford to meet certain emission standards. I mean, they're not encouraging anymore. They're not sitting down with Ford executives saying, you know, we, we can all save the planet together. I mean, in April, the most aggressive emission standards in the history of our nation have been implemented by our federal government, and Ford's had to react. And out of that comes about 4,000 job losses to make up for the $3 billion they're going to lose in selling more cars. I mean, how would you like to be in the auto business and one you know sector of your business was selling more cars than it ever has and losing more money than it ever has? I mean, where, where is the... I mean, obviously, that's a distortion and manipulation of the, of the private sector, but it's where we are. And, and are we going to... Is America... I mean, the media is not going to force the debate. I mean, the media is not going to say, hey, can, can the Republicans and Democrats sit down and honestly decide how much man is contributing to climate change? I mean, the media is, I mean, this would be the monolith. I mean, this would be the cathedral in action. I mean, the cathedral has made its mind up that, you know, man is responsible largely for, I mean, and, and a lot of, I mean, I understand what the, the, the mindset of it, they're trying to destroy the economy. I mean, they're trying to just control the economy. I mean, it's about controlling more and more and more of the economy. And, you know, when, when, when you elect a Democrat president and he, you know, he appoints a lot of liberal executives within or administrators within the executive branch and they begin implementing. I mean, we've talked about this for a long time, right? I mean, what will happen if the government ever decides 
to force car companies to build one car over another. We're here. I mean, that's where we are. And Ford's having to make a, a real tough decision. 4,000 people no longer have jobs because the government says you must build electric vehicles and they're losing $3 billion a year building electric vehicles. Where do you find an extra $3 billion in a company the size of Ford? You've got the labor force. You get rid of people that you may or may not need any longer, all because the government says this is the direction the economy not should go, not might go, not could go, but must go. 843-661-0937, back in a few. You know, one of the most uh, important things Trump has done is, is expose not just the Democrats, but, but, but rather people that profess to be on our team that never had an ideological bent about them at all. I mean, the Bill Crystals of the world. Uh, they, they wrote and philosophized about conservative government, but once, uh, you know, once the war machine was at risk or in, under threat, you know, I've often wondered, and I don't know how to do this. I'm not smart enough. Um, you better be glad I'm not smart because I'm tenacious and fearless. Uh, just not very bright. <laughs> if I were smart, I probably wouldn't be as fearless as tenacious <laughs> as, as I am. But um, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I'm stuck with fearless and tenacious because I'm not, I'm not very smart. Um, but, but if I were a bright man, I would try to clearly understand what conservative ink is. And, and I, and I mean that, I mean, it's obvious to me yesterday on the morning shows, I mean, it's centered around 500 days of war in Ukraine. Um, I mean, you, you got a guy with, I mean, obviously he's got, got his, you know, his muscles up and he's got this tight t-shirt on and, you know, um, I'm talking about Zelensky. Zelensky. Yeah, uh, you know, you, you watch him and you say, okay, I trust that guy with $100 billion. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, I guess it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. He hates Russia. We hate Russia. You know, that's kind of been the uh, the narrative for a long, long, long time. And then they start playing some of the Trump clips. Um, you know, I would end the war in a, in, a, in a day. They don't play the rest of the clip because the most compelling Trump uh, pronouncement in that is when he said, I'm just tired of people dying, man. I mean, you got people in, you know, in Russia dying, people in Ukraine dying. Do we have a clear understanding? I mean, I understand invasion of a sovereign nation. I'm not defending Putin. I would never defend Putin. I think he's a ruthless dictator. But, you know, Russia's Russia. Um, we're kind of imperialistic about our, um, our angelic behavior over the, uh, over the years. But, but if I were a smart man and really knew how to do forensic auditing, and, and follow through at some of the um ah, some of the entailed processes that I would imagine it would take. I'd like to know. Um, I mean, I know who they are by and large. I mean, it's the Heritage Foundation. I mean, to some degree, the Cato Institute. Ah, a lot of the big corporations in America, Wall Street. I mean, I'm being generic. I'm speaking in in generalities. But some of the Twitter accounts. I don't want to get personal here and call people by name. But it's the Lincoln Project. I mean, it's all those people that said, you know, uh, I'm a Republican. I stand by uh, Republican principles and ideals and values. Well, you did. I mean, as long as they were the party of globalist, uh, globalism and interventionism and, and, you know, kind of the exportation of or the exporting of uh, the exploitation of the American worker, the exporting of American jobs. I mean, that's kind of what the, um, the Republican Party, I don't want to say historically has stood for. But since NAFTA and, and and I guess since the Reagan Revolution, what was it? Um, strength through or peace, peace through, through strength, strength was kind of the um uh, the saying that we 
we latched on to, but it was obvious to me what was happening yesterday with ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, even Fox, uh, for that matter. Uh, you know, where do you stand on Ukraine? How committed are we um, to Ukraine? I think Sam, a few minutes ago, talked about Lindsey Graham being booed in Pickens. I think Lindsey was being booed um, for two reasons. One is he's trying to have it both ways with Trump. And I think there's a, um, I think the more Lindsey stays away from that, the better he is. Because that's a complicated place. You know, I'm with Trump. No, I'm not. Yeah, I am. No, I'm not. I'm done with him. No, I'm not. He's the best, you know, he's my friend. I'm done with him. You got to be real careful. Uh, and then you add that when he speaks, he says something that the base just doesn't believe in now. And that is peace through strength. I mean, the base just doesn't believe that, whether it's right or wrong. I mean, history will decide that. But the Republican base today in America is anti-war. I mean, they're anti-imperialism. They, they, you know, they believe, and I've said it and made them uh, Republican friends of mine uh, highly aggravated with me. What we did was build an empire, and we've run it like one. I mean, we've honestly and truly done that. Now, now that's Woodstock Bob Dylan talk. I mean, that's not the conservative Republican who believes in these principles of, you know, um, policing the world or security uh, around the world and America having a dominant presence in, in that. The, the American, I mean, the, the, the Republican-based voter, and when you really, and I've given Tucker a lot of credit here because I think he deserves a lot of credit. Tucker almost gets so laser-focused on that that he loses things on the periphery. But Tucker believes that the target, I mean, the target for the disgruntlement, the, the anti-Trump resistance is born, bred, located, uh, domiciled in, in, in the military-industrial complex. Forget Wall Street for a second. Now, you can't because the financing of some of these major contracts they, for these military or these uh, defense contractors are, you know, you're right, but it's money. Money's the answer. Now, what? what is the question? But but yesterday was kind of the evident example of, you know, we got cocaine in the White House. We've got, you know, Biden maybe knowing where he is or maybe not. We've got this um this pending investigation of James Comer. Let's not talk about that. This is a chance to k- kind of reinvigorate, recharge the batteries of, you know, Putin bad, Zelensky good. You know, what more can America do to help Zelensky be successful? Let me ask you this. I mean, I- I'd ask any... I mean, there's some neocons out there. God bless you. I mean, you have a right to be one. I was one for a long time. I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm a convert. I'm no longer a neocon. I'm no longer, uh, I I believe, as as some of our listeners have expressed over the years, I believe that America abused the privilege of being the world's police. I I believe America is good in general. I think America has done more good for humanity around the world than any nation in our history. And I think we can be that and a bit imperialistic. And I think, uh, you know, when you build an empire and you get to tell everyone where to stand, what to do, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Biden said yesterday that the United States has not decided whether Ukraine should be allowed into NATO yet. I mean, that's pretty imperialistic. And I'm not saying that that America shouldn't be entitled to do that. But is that the America we want to live in? I mean, do we want to live in an America where, where working people are struggling and our political leadership is you know, more attuned or more in tuned with whether Ukraine should be a member of NATO or not. Um, how many of you are going to die because of what happens in Ukraine or NATO or, you know, illegal immigration across our southern border? Uh, fentanyl, opioids, 
um, cancer. Uh, you know, th- there's a million different threats, legitimate threats to America. I-, I just don't know how. And I understand geopolitics as much as one like me can understand. I mean, I understand there's a fair geopolitical debate to be had in America. But but you're not going to convince the, the, the Republican base today that what happens in Ukraine is as important as what happens in, uh, in East Lansing, Michigan, or in Ohio. I mean, you just aren't. And I think, you know, the, um, the Republicans that seem to be gaining the most momentum in the party today are those who have m- m- maybe begrudgingly, maybe not. I don't know how much of a neocon Marco Rubio was or Josh Hawley or any of these others. I, I do believe they're beginning. I mean, I think Rand Paul's a true believer. I think Rand Paul has a history to show that. Rand Paul's never believed that it was our business to uh, be involved in the affairs of other countries. And, you know, we get to decide who wins and we get to decide who gets. I mean, imagine we're, we're sending cluster bombs now to Ukraine. And I'm convinced we're sending cluster bombs to Ukraine because we're about out of ammo. I mean, I'm really, I mean, I, that, that concerns me a lot. Mm. I think the, um, the green light on cluster bombs means that we don't have enough of the other ammo to send. Cluster bombs have been um, deemed inhumane by, by some of the um, so some of these high and mighty uh, transnational or international associations. I'm talking about NATO and uh, WTO and WHO. And I mean, they, they basically said, why would a nation spend, you know, defense dollars on a bomb so inhumane? But now we're sending some of the um, some of the bombs that we've chastised other nations for using. We're sending to Ukraine. I mean, that's kind of the high and mighty that I'm talking about. And I think the I think the Republican base. We talk about this debate that is essential to our getting better. I mean, if you see the world as I do, I think we're having that debate. I mean, I think I think the Republican base has has had that debate. Now, now Lindsey's having a hard time accepting it. Nikki Haley's having a hard time accepting it. Mike Pence is having a hard time accepting it. The military-industrial complex is going to have a hard time accepting it. Globalism, um, you know, interventionism kind of plays into the military. The association with China, some of the trade deals we made, legitimizing um, slave labor. It's kind of interesting. Mark Cuban and Travis uh, Clay Travis had kind of a back and forth. You, you saw some of that? I did. Um, you know, Cuban's talking about, the in you know the lands and indigenous tribes, and he won't you know chastise or won't basically um, he won't say candidly what needs to be said about the NBA's relationship in China. Um, it, it's just so hypocritical. But but the reason you get away with hypocrisy is you're not forced to defend it. I mean, why wouldn't I be hypocritical if I if I'm an opinionated leftist, if I'm a leftist activist, and I have these real aggressive opinions. And you're entitled to have those opinions. But why wouldn't I hold those opinions and so aggressively espouse those opinions if I'm, no, if I, if I'm never going to be forced to debate whether those opinions are real? I mean, imagine, guys, the Democrats today basically can't define what a woman is, right? I mean, they, they really and truly can't. The Democrats today believe it's okay to send billions and billions and billions of dollars unchecked to Zelensky and, and Ukraine. I mean, it's... But, but they're, they're able to do that because nobody forces them to defend those decisions. I mean, the Democrat politicians over the weekend stood by a comment from a weather expert that these are the hottest two days in recorded human history. 
And nobody said, how do we know that? No Democrat policymaker said, how do we know that? I mean, how do we gauge or measure these people who espouse all these views on climate change? How familiar do you really think they are with the metrics and measures of which? I mean, I've I've got an, an honest question, and I don't know the answer to this. So this is not an insulting question, but rather a question of curiosity. How do we measure the temperature of the planet Earth? I mean, is there, is there some, some thermometer that we swing around on a satellite? And it, you know, I mean, is, is it thermodynamic? I mean, how do we measure? Does anybody listening to my voice know how we measure the temperature of the planet Earth down to the one-tenth of one degree? Because I think there was, I mean, it was, um, we were debating 57.9 or 61.5. I mean, there's some debate about, you know. So we're not saying, hey, it's about 100 outside. Yeah, it's hot as hell. No, I mean, it's not that. I mean, we're, we're, we're arguing that there's a group of people in the world today that can measure the temperature of the planet Earth on that given day down to the one-tenth of one degree. I mean, just, just kind of fixate on that for just a second. I mean, forget climate change and man-made climate change. The ocean's rising. I mean, we, we've got, we've got a, a universe of people in our, in our country, in our world, that believe they are the ones that can measure the temperature of the planet Earth. And it's not a harmless academic exercise. It's an exercise that has been blessed by power brokers in Washington, uh, professional liars in Washington, and out of that comes, you know, 4,000 jobs at Ford that are no longer in existence because Ford's losing $3 billion a year, not because they're not selling enough cars, they're selling too damn many cars, too many electric cars. They're losing $34,000 on each um, EV. That's Let's take crazy. it. Yeah, we've we got a call. We'll go to the phone, but i got to take a break back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. I don't know why, we'll, but we spent a good bit of time. I was thinking about being gone all last week, what stories were most relevant. I mean, obviously, the two presidential primaries, Republican primary in particular, um, garnered the most attention in the business that you and I are in. But when I saw the two stories or, you know, the multiple stories about the two hottest days ever recorded on Earth, my mind went to forever, <laughs> forever. <laughs> Earth's been here multiple billions of years old. What? Two hottest days ever. Um, and then it kind of distinct, well, since we've been keeping records. And then we go back to some of what we've talked about. Ford Motor Company losing $34,000 per EV. They're laying off 1,000 employees to offset some of the cost of transitioning from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles there are some surveys out there now that most americans do not agree with the Biden administration's plan i'm gonna imagine this to phase out gas-powered um cars by 2035 fox news radio's jeff manasso is in chicago jeff good morning how are you sir i'm doing well my friend yeah a large majority of americans are opposed to president biden's plan to phase out traditional gas-powered cars by 2035 that from a recent Pew Research poll that shows while 21% of Americans are excited about the policy, 59% of Americans oppose uh, the EV goals, and that you know the the opposition has grown by 8% in the last couple of years. So the more time goes by, the more people are kind of seeing the viability of this transition and what we're looking at in the future, and they're saying, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, Republicans oppose phasing out gas cars uh, way more than Democrats, 84 to 35 percent. 
even as car and truck makers have made it clear that this is the future of transportation and that it, it is electric. Jeff, is the auto industry deciding this is the future because they believe it's the future or is it government edict in order? I mean, I know what we're transitioning and the government is very involved in the transition, but do auto manufacturers believe that long-term this is a more viable alternative? I don't know. I, you know, look, I don't know the answer to that. I, I can tell you uh, Toyota has, has actually pushed back on, 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 on a full on transition to, to EVs. Um, it's, it's, it's caved a little bit, but it's, it's one of those companies, a big company that's saying, look, I, this is not a viable thing. Um, and, and, you know, you, you, you look at, you, you look at <clears throat> little things like the cost, you know, the, the, the cost of a, of, of an average gas powered car is about $26,000 on average. Uh, the average cost for an EV about $64,000 in South Carolina alone. You guys have about 5,000 gas stations with multiple pumps. Uh, there are 917 public charging ports in in South Carolina at, at this point. With the Biden administration trying to pump more federal money into it to to create more options, but you know, what do you do if you live in an apartment? What do you do if there are brownouts or blackouts in terms of power? I mean, there's so many questions that we're going to face in the future as we transition to EVs. Uh, will we look like Cuba where we're driving around older cars because we don't want to transition to EVs? It's, you know, there's so many unknowns right now, but right now the, the, the options to charge um, is, it's just not there. And so people are looking at that and they're going, look, you know, I want to travel with my family across the country. It's going to make it a lot more difficult. How definitive a date do we believe? This is unfair to you, but you're the only guy I know to ask. How definitive a date is 2035? I mean, is that some made-up number because it's another 12 years and, and we'll revisit that number 12 years from now? Which is, I mean, I was in government. I know that's kind of the way of the game. We'll appoint another Blue Ribbon Committee in 2035 to figure out why we had it that wrong. Well, if, if voters go to the polls in 2024 to, to elect a Republican for the White House, uh, you know, that could be pushed back. And, 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 and there could be a battle like between the federal government and states like California that have similar uh, goals, uh, similar battles that we saw play out during the, the, the previous Trump administration. But even if Biden's EPA uh, EV policy is finalized and implemented, a staggering 67 percent of new sedans, crossovers, SUVs, light trucks uh, could be electric by 2032. Uh, in addition, up to 50 percent of buses, garbage trucks, 35 percent of short haul freight tractors, 25 percent of Long-haul freight tractor purchases could, could be electric by then as well. But, um, you know, uh, again, a lot of this is politics as well. And so I don't really know if, if, if 2035 <laughs> is, is an exact date, but there are there are some things in there that could change that up. Yeah, a long way from the early 80s at Hannah Pamplico High School when everybody drove a V8 uh, pickup truck with a gun rack in the back. Well, my, how, <laughs> how things have changed. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it, my man. You bet. And, and those are unfair questions, but I, I don't know the answer to that. I want to go back to Dale real quick, because Dale asked an interesting, not just climate change, because um, we're talking about the, I mean, I'm saying inevitable. I mean, things can change, and I've been wrong a million times. I've been right three or four, um, but it looks to me like, after further review over the um, over the week, that, that DeSantis is not going to be able to pull off this Trumpism minus the drama. This, this, you know, um, anti-establishment, anti-elite, America first agenda, minus the drama. I think we all agree 
that's the the best chance we have to win in 2024. Kind of an America worker, America family, America way, a life-centric uh, platform and agenda. It's kind of an anti-interventionist. Anti- I mean, I've seen the polling. It's clear. I mean, the Republicans have made their mind up that they are not who they once were. I mean, the old guard is done. They may not know. They may fight because they made a lot of money for a long time, and they've got some resources to stand guard, you know, by, by the um, the old holy cathedral of conservative ink, so to speak. But the Republican voter have made their minds up that they want to move past that. They want to go to kind of an anti-China, anti-globalist, anti-interventionist, uh, kind of an anti-war uh, party. Uh, it's, it's, it's unusual, very unusual. I mean, if Woodstock were held today, I imagine there would be more Republicans there uh, than there are Democrats. Now, we do have this intangible of, you know, Republican voters not necessarily being Trump voters. you got to court them and make them uh, one of the same. That, that'll be complicated. But, but I think if, if I'm Trump, and I'm not, if I were, I would probably say, guys, I bring drama, and I don't deny that. I mean, I, you know, maybe now he's not going to do this. So this is the ultimate hypothetical. I'm narcissistic. I'm bombastic. I'm, you know, I'm egotistical. I'm all these things. I'm not humble. I mean, I accept that about myself, but I ain't changing because I'm 70 years old and I got enough money to, you know, to do whatever it is I choose to do. So you're going to get the drama. I mean, to think you're going to get this without the drama is just unrealistic. So let's level with one another. As long as you got me, you're getting the drama. But, but you know what else you get with me? I mean, I'm not afraid to say what I know to be a woman to be or a man to be. I'm not afraid to say it's insanity to believe we can throw fossil fuel and internal combustion engines uh, to the wolves. It's insanity to say that a woman should be allowed to have an abortion the day before the baby's born. I, yeah, I'm going to bring you a lot of drama. But, but I can assure you that if you ask me what a woman is, I'll answer. You ask me what a man is, I'll answer. You ask me how long it's going to take you know, to transition from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles, however long Ford, GM, Toyota, Hyundai, and Nissan thinks it'll take. I'll let the market address that accordingly. So, so yes, you get drama with me, but look at what you don't get. And I, I just think that's a very compelling uh, message for the every other episode Seinfeld Watcher and uh, the every episode Seinfeld Watcher. Let's go to the phone. Here is David in the PD. Good morning. Yeah, hey, welcome back, Wavy Gravy and Top Gun Dave Cruz. Uh, <laughs> hey, Dave, uh, how was the traffic on I ninety five Collar Counties this time? Uh, it wasn't Going too bad, down to Florida. Yeah, well, it wasn't wasn't too bad. Maybe I picked the right times to travel, but uh, I don't really have any complaints except for the the holes in the roads that beat well, up I my know tires. Kind of, yeah, that had a hole in the road that would tear your tires That's up, right. man. But uh, uh, you know, Dave's Braves. How about this? Here's a Dave's Braves trivia question for you and Dave, Ken. Uh, who hit the most home runs in a single season in Braves franchise history? Hmm. Dale Murphy hit 36 one year. Uh, I don't think that's is, is that is that it, David, or somebody hit more than that? No, no, no. Hank Aaron. No. Here's here's one of your buddies back in the days. Uh, when they had that streak going on in the 90s and 2000s. This this is kind of a difficult one. Give me one more stab. It would have been in that run, in that era. Oh. It's, it's actually in the 2000s. It's in the 2000s. Oh, it would have been Sid Bream. Um, would have been Ron Gant. No, Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones. Okay, that was that, that yeah. was my next choice. That was, I mean, I'm serious. I, it, after it, Gant, that, I would have said Andrew that, Jones. That's one. 
for you. Uh, so I apologize, man. I shouldn't do that. But anyway, uh, I kind of watched some of these shows yesterday, and I'm telling you, man, they are the Democrats. No, they've got 25% of voters are single women, and I, I don't know how many people are between 18 and 29. But they are just trying to just that. That's their target audience, and this I call it the ultra mega Trump court. This abortion, this affirmative action, the student loans. Uh, I think there was a case about LGBTQ rights. Uh, they're going to harp on that. And, and I'm telling you, man, that you talk about climate change, um, that's another thing. And I, I feel for people like uh, Josh, golly, man, if I was uh, a young person and we're $31 trillion in debt, and somebody keeps telling me that the world's going to end in 10 years, I, that would get me. I would be fearful. And then you add to that guns in January 6th, that's your strategy, man. So just watch for it all the time. Thank you. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. The one thing, I mean, you know, the what did Thick Pen say? Don't overestimate the voters' interest. Don't underestimate their intelligence. The one thing I think everybody understands, when you go to the poll, I mean, we have different understandings of it, but I think everybody accepts fairness. I mean, is, is, is the body politic acting fairly? Do they treat Dave the same as they treat Josh, the same as they treat a single African-American mom, the same as, as they treat a, a, you know, a white married um, coal miner in West Virginia? I mean, got all these, all these subsets within our popular American working class, the minorities, the, the Hispanic voters. Wow. Be Trump, you know, I mean, uh, the, 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 uh, suburban female voter, uh, the affluent white male voter from the, I mean, you see where I'm headed. I mean, we've got all these subsets. No matter what subset you exist in, I mean, I, I would be a Southern male conservative. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I'm hardline conservative. I'm probably more pragmatic than than some of you would like if I were if I were in office because I'd kind of cut a deal. I mean, I level with you. Business forces you to do that, and I come from the business world, so I'd probably be more pragmatic than ideological. But but I do believe that every voter, um, you know, white Southern females, um. African-American Northern males, West Coast uh, independents. I mean, you know, we, we, we've got a poll a day on, on what these groups think about these issues. The one issue that I think everybody relates to is fair. Is our government being fair with me? And I think the argument to make to women is the Democrats, I mean, their policies are unfair. I mean, is it fair to an unborn baby to have an abortion the week before the baby's to be born? I mean, that's a hell of a way to break down abortion, but in all honesty, I mean, if you're not a political sophisticate and you don't spend a lot, and say you were unintelligent, I mean, you just don't spend a lot of time thinking about politics. You're doing your thing. You're living your life. You're watching Seinfeld, mind you, and you're just not paying a lot of attention. So all of a sudden, one party says, I want to protect the unborn, and the other says, I want to protect a woman's right, a woman's reproductive rights. Okay, the independent voters, both of those make sense. I mean, I, you know, I want to, uh, you know, I want to give the woman a right to choose, but but I also want to protect the unborn. I mean, I, I think there's some; uh, those aren't mutually exclusive of one another. But but I think you've got to hit them in the gut. I mean, I just think you kick them in the forehead with abortion, and I think you to, to independent voters, you you run ads and and you have messaging that says, you know, the Democrats endorse a woman being allowed to abort a pregnancy two days before the baby's to be born. I mean, there's about 13 states in America that have a policy. They've adopted a policy that says that. Um, 
a the Democrats will allow a 6-1, 210-pound man to compete against your female in tennis, golf, football, basketball, whatever, whatever sport. I mean, these, these all-inclusive sporting events. There are no genders. So, see, I, I, you don't have to complicate some of these debates. Now, now the, the person who goes to the RNC and DNC, they're going to want a little more meat. I mean, they're going to want a little more, you know, explanation. But to the casual independent voter, I think you couch those in, in that sort of way. Um, I think a female voter says, well, it doesn't make any sense for a 6'1", 210-pound man to compete against women in athletic events. I mean, you're talking about organized athletics? You're talking about Francis Marion University's swim team? Or, or Carolina Clemson's women's soft, basketball, softball? Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, we're even talking about mixed martial arts and boxing and, you know, the the the... the the primate in me has the, I mean, I think I have the best answer, but, but it's not socially acceptable. You know what my answer is to women and men competing in, in all athletic endeavors? How many women will it take to get their skull fractured? How many women will it take to choke on their teeth? I mean, that's really what, I mean, that's the primate in me. I mean, I, I understand that's not a reasonable conclusion to draw with. That's not the conclusion I've drawn because you got to protect people. I mean, you can't let... But, but if a woman, if a 5'9", 140-pound fit woman is willing to stop into, or step into an octagon or boxing ring with a 6'2", 200-pound man who, who's, you know, fit and physically trained to fight, I mean, how many women really want to fight Mike Tyson? I'm a dude. I don't. You see where I'm headed? But I think fairness, I think you, you, you argue these points on, does that make sense to you? I mean, does that seem fair to you? Does it seem fair to the unborn baby for a woman to be allowed to have an abortion a week before that child is to be born? I mean, is that, in the spirit of fairness, help me with that. Forget reproductive rights and in a right to choose and protecting the unborn. I mean, does that sound fair to you? I mean, Mike Tyson beats up every woman in, in Ohio. Does that sound, and, 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 you know, some sort of organized sport, does that sound fair to you? And I understand that Democrats say, well, these are outliers. It doesn't matter if it's an outlier or not. It's what you believe in. I mean, it's what your policies are. I love it when they say, oh, they're so incidental. I mean, they're, they're so minor. It hardly ever happens. I don't care if it happens one time or a million. It's what you believe in. It's what you stand for. And that's not fair. And I think people genuinely understand and appreciate and respect the notion of one party trying to get it right, trying to be fair. I mean, it's not perfect. You'll never get it perfect. And another party basically says, ah, there's no such thing as women and men. I mean, you know, if this person wants to fight that person, and that person happens to have, you know, a vagina, and this person happens to be Mike Dyson, then let's let's have at it. 843-661-0937. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is, I will say this, in, in all uh, full disclosure, it's been a two Celsius morning. <laughs> 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 Normally, it's one Celsius morning. Oh, that I'm getting, explains get, get, a lot. Getting back in the groove, it's been a two Celsius. I missed you guys, and I mean that sincerely. When I talk to myself, and wife's got to put up with me on vacation, um, she says, I've heard that a million times. I don't want to hear it anymore. When you get back Monday, um, that crowd that you love so much, y'all can talk about it. But um, but let me be right now. Just let me mm-hmm. be. I am a Seinfeld watcher. She is a, um, literally and figuratively, my wife is a Seinfeld watcher and very content in that lane let's go to the phone roger and coward hey roger good morning fellas um i know i'm being a little redundant here 
but you brought up some issues this morning uh, that are kitchen table issues that everybody deals with. And the media is real good about giving you a poll that says most people believe that abortion should not be outlawed. If you ask most of those people, but they never delve into it, like you brought up a while ago, of, well, does that go right on up till the day of birth? Uh, you can get a little different answer if you delve into that poll a little bit. Uh, but most people watching Seinfeld don't delve into that poll. Uh, trans issue is not going to affect most people. It's way less than 1%. The chances of it affecting you or your family are very minute. Those watching Seinfeld, that's not a kitchen table issue to them uh, because it's not going to affect most people. Now, I think it has the potential to affect young people's thinking, and that's where the danger in, to me comes in. But for the most part, in the next election, that's not going to be a deciding factor. Um, the kitchen table issue for me is the climate change issue. And, and you ask people in a poll, do you believe in transitioning to green and um, the green program and safe energy and all that? And most people are going to say, yeah, I believe in doing that. But if you delve into that issue and you realize, like the guy brought up a while ago, 26,000 versus 64,000 by, by 2035, when you get into the details of that issue, you're going to get a different answer in that poll when they begin to realize where it affects them. But you don't hear that. And you're so polarized on each side, and you mentioned yourself being pragmatic, you've got to be a little pragmatic. And that's what frustrates me with this idea that we're going to end up with Trump uh, and DeSantis being the second one. They are polarizing. You can, you look, <laughs> I want somebody to win this election for the Republicans. Now, you get a Nikki Haley or you get an Asa Hutchinson or you get, you know, a Tim Scott. No, you're not going to get the anger boiling up on the other side. Now, they're going to be the Antichrist, like you said, by the media, no matter who it is. But at least you can get somebody that can say, no, we're going to transition to uh, green energy over time, but we can't do it in 12 years. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, for anybody to think that. You can't do that in 12 years. But those, to me, that is the biggest kitchen table issue because if we go forward with this extreme green plan, I'm just very afraid that you're going to end up with brownouts, blackouts, all type of problems that affect my everyday life. Now, you tell me, well, I'll get me a generator. How long do you think that's going to last? If, you, if you've got an, uh, an energy problem in this country, it's not realistic, Ken. And somehow the Republicans have got to get folks involved in these issues, and they've got to give enough detail to somehow win this election. If we don't, I mean, we're in, we're in big trouble.
Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate it. Well, let's go down this road for just, just a second. So, so we've got tolerant. I mean, the, the left, and I guess the right is asking the left to be tolerant of certain things. I mean, we all ask one another to be tolerant of our imperfections. I mean, I do, you do, everybody does. Um, my wife has to tolerate me at times. Uh, I, ref has to tolerate me at times. We have to tolerate certain things in our lives at certain times. But tolerance of the abnormal. I mean, I had to tolerate the redefining of the word marriage, right? But that really doesn't affect my life much. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, you know, I I don't like the idea that we've redefined the word marriage. But at the end of the day, it did. Hadn't, I mean, that's had very minimal effect on my life. I mean, it changed the the language and, and you know, the, the court decided that a man can marry a man and enjoy insurance benefit and all the uh, the civil, the same thing that other civil unions enjoy. That's a provocative issue. I think it's abnormal for a man to marry another man. I think it's abnormal for a woman to marry another woman. I think it's abnormal for a, you know, transgenderism to be celebrated. I, you know, but, but you're asking me to be tolerant of things that I perceive to be abnormal, but they really don't affect my life. I mean, in all honesty, gender dysphoria has very little impact on my life. I think it's the, the social conscious. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at honoring God or not, living kind of an obedient life based on some spiritual superpower or not. I mean, I think if you're secularist, it's easy to redefine words because they really don't mean much. But I think certain words and institutions have served civilization in, in a profound way. But, but and, and I'm, I'm, Stick with me because I can easily lose you here. So, so I'm mad. I'm frustrated. I'm bothered that I've been asked to be tolerant of things I consider to be abnormal. But at the end of the day, they don't change my life much. I mean, they, they really and truly don't. I get aggravated. I get frustrated. I, it, it, you know, I saw two dudes spooning on a couch. And I'm going, like, what the hell? You know, but, but anyway, I mean, I'm a good old boy. What do you expect out of a good old boy when you see two dudes spooning on a couch wearing cute pajamas? I, I'm going to my side. I just don't get it. I mean, I'm sorry. I just don't get it. I mean, I don't think I'm, I mean, I know I'm a country boy, but I don't think I'm an intolerant redneck. I mean, I, I you know, I don't want to hit somebody in the head with a bat and beat somebody up. And I mean, I, I got no interest in that, but, but I do go, ah, it's hard me to be tolerant of that. I mean, that's a bit unusual, you know, but, but anyway, I, I digress. That really and truly doesn't have much bearing or impact on my life. I'm said over and over and over again, the two issues that should be front and center in all of our lives is energy and debt. There ain't no escaping that, guys. I mean, if we if we create energy policy in the in the the way the Democrats want to, there will be real world consequences. If we don't address our debt in a meaningful and aggressive way, there will be real world consequences. I mean, there are consequences to redefining marriage. There are consequences to normalizing gender dysphoria. But it doesn't knock on my door every day. It just doesn't. If I'm told in 10 years I can't buy a gas-powered car and we're $50 trillion in debt, but that, there's a real consequence to that. But that has a direct impact on how I'm going to live my life, how I'm going to make plans, what, what advice I give my kids. I mean, if, my, if my kid came to me today, one of my three kids came to me today and said, Daddy, what do you think of this same-sex marriage? Uh, I don't know, son. This court spoke. A little bit weird to me, but the court spoke. You know, I've got no problem with it. Um, 
got bigger fish to fry. Uh, mother kid comes up. Dad, well, what do you think about this gender dysphoria? I mean, it wasn't that a mental illness for a long time, and now we're trying, yeah, son, that's, that's kind of a bridge too far from me. I mean, I kind of gave in on same-sex marriage. Never liked it, but I, I don't know if I can give in on, on this gender dysphoria. But, but, but it's, you know, don't go looking for problems. I mean, that's probably what I tell my kids. You know, have your beliefs and believe in them. I mean, put your anchor in the sand and don't budge. But at the end of the day, whether gender dysphoria is a mental illness or not, doesn't come knocking on Dave Baker's door or Josh's door or Ken's door. It just doesn't. Um, Same-sex marriage. I mean, it's law of the land. Courts have spoken. And, and, and a man has a right to marry a man. A woman has a right to marry a woman. Um, I believe there was passion uh, because it was marriage. I think civil unions were not good enough. They wanted to insult the word marriage because you got a secular spiritual battle going on in America. But to Roger's point, energy and debt are the real McCoy. I mean, that's the real deal. If we try to create a new source of energy and, and forsake the other without clearly and methodically thinking through, how do we get from here to there? We're going to make a grave error and a big mistake that will fundamentally reshape how we live our lives over the next 30, 40, 50 years. Trust me. I mean, we're heading there. We're, we're, we're beginning to make one of the biggest mistakes this country could make in not allowing the market to dictate how we power cars, how we heat homes, how, how we energize our economy. Uh, the decarbonization of our economy is, I mean, you know, some would argue it's the intent to control our economy. Okay, fair enough. But, but it's impossible to do it the way some of the political thought leaders in America are mandating of the private sector to do. So that is a huge mistake that we're making that once again will knock on your door every single second of every single day. It's already knocking on your door. I mean, the permitting to get new plants built. I mean, we got energy costs soaring. I mean, it's already, you're already beginning to, to, to sense what is going to, what is going to look like on the other side of this forced transition from one source of energy, carbon, uh, to another. So, so, and I've said that consistently for, for the last four or five years, the, the threat of decarbonizing our economy is, is a, a game changer. That is something that will directly affect your life, my life, whether you want it to or not. I can choose to take a pass on gender dysphoria. I mean, I can choose to take a pass on same-sex marriage. Abortion is a little bit different. Um, but, but some of these cultural wars, some of these social issues that we find ourselves very involved in and so at times mired in. But, but energy and debt, I mean, th th there's no getting, what do they say about lower back pain? I mean, people in the country, <laughs> uh, I can't get away from it, man. You know, no matter where I turn or twist or, or move or lean, I mean, I can't, I got nine pillows in the bed with me. And I, I, mean, I, I still, I mean, everything is connected to that lower back. And if that lower back has some sort of pain or inflammation, the entire body has to adjust. If we don't get energy and debt right, and this is not, you know, uh, for three ninety nine, you get the rest of the story. This is not some premium content. We don't do that here. Upsell, you know. Um, you know what the biggest issues in America today are for three ninety nine a month. Um, you, you, can, tell you. you can get a coffee mug and a t shirt. We'll tell you what the no, we don't do that here. But but I've said it. I'll say it again. Energy and debt. And it looks to me like we're getting them, uh, you know, more wrong than I think we can afford to. I mean, we continue to spend about a trillion dollars a year we don't have. Uh, I think I read the Treasury predicts the debt exceed $50 trillion by 2035. 
I mean, $50 trillion. Can you say that? $50 trillion. And we're in the process, uh, very aggressively decarbonizing our economy based on a non-debate, climate change, which is real. I mean, there's no doubt climate change is real. Is it man-made? To what degree is man contributing to climate change? Don't have any idea. And I would argue anybody that says something other than that and and are so sure of themselves, those are the people you need to be afraid of. I mean, that really and truly. I mean, if someone says, look, I think this, and the science leads me down this road, and I think there's a fair debate to be had about these three things, but probably not those two. Those are serious people. I mean, that those are serious people who need to be considered when we game plan on, on what to do about energizing our economy. But, but you know, the, the government's trying to force feed us a, a transition that will devastate this economy, create great competitive disadvantages. Um, China's not doing it. India's not doing it. Russia's not doing it. Um, n- none of the developing, that Brazil, uh, some of the BRICS nations, you're already seeing, go back to debt. Rev asked me uh, this morning, you're already seeing some of the BRICS nation, Brazil, Russia, India, China, um, begin planning, negotiating, scheming, devising, whatever word you want to use, the purchasing of energy with something other than the dollar. I mean, the American century is not American uh, eon. I mean, it's an American century. And, I, and I've argued and, and consistently argued, because you've asked me, what is the one thing to pay closest attention to? And I've said the petrodollar. I mean, once energy-producing and energy-consuming countries other than the United States begin transacting trades in something other than the petrodollar, it's game on. And we're there. And I don't like to be pessimistic. I don't like to be optimistic. I like to be realistic. I mean, what did Rush say, the mayor of Realville? I mean, I like to consider myself somewhat of that or in that ilk. I'm the mayor of Realville. And the mayor of Realville says, that we are well on our way to getting energy wrong, we're well on our way to getting debt wrong, and we will leave an inferior country to generations to come if we make those two grave mistakes. Take wow. a break. Back in just a few moments. Four three six six one zero nine three seven. Back in the saddle again. Feels good. Josh, you good? Oh, yeah. Have we established that oil is not a fossil fuel? I think we have. Yeah, Rev. Rev and I were talking about you know um, do, doing some Facebook <laughs> live segments it. here, and Rev said, "Got to be careful, man, because Facebook will censor you. Um, that, that you don't meet the community standards." Mm-hmm. Um, and I told Rev, I said, "Well, we, we, we're far past that. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're not arguing things that they're they're interested in. We're arguing. I mean, if somebody takes a headset off at Facebook headquarters and and community standards or content moderators and says, "Hey, I got a country boy over here saying that oil in the fossil fuel." Wait, I mean, let him stay on. I mean, yeah, if he's that crazy, I mean, maybe you see where I'm headed. I mean, uh, did he say something about Trump or, or Biden? Uh, no, no, but he's saying that all at the fossil fuel. What? Yeah, I got some dude over here, man, saying that all at the, in the, in the fossil fuel. Yeah, let, let's listen to that. <laughs> then he comes to work the next day and says, it might not be. I mean, he, he kind of, uh, he may have convinced me. So here we go. You ready? Pepsi Florence has been kind enough to um, sponsor this feeble attempt at Radio Brilliance. We really appreciate it what they do second half of 2023 we're going to try to make better than the first half of 2023 talked a lot about Seinfeld today um here's my question you ready and the correct answer first correct answer wins a six pack of pepsi product couple of takes mondays to make friday's t-shirts the four central characters of Seinfeld are 
I need them all four. Well, there you to, go. To the, to the Seinfeld enthusiast. I want to see how many Seinfeld enthusiasts listen to conservative radio because I've argued none. Zero. <laughs> so, so this may be the first time we take our prize and go home, Rev. Mm, so the four get central characters in the hit sitcom Seinfeld, who are they? Hi, you are on the air. Do you know the answer? Is it Kramer, George, uh, Ellen, and Seinfeld? Jerry. No, no. You're close. close. Elaine. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He corrected himself. You're right. Jerry, Elaine, Kramer, and George. Who is this and where are you calling from? Chris from Latta. Okay, Chris. Um, good old Latta boy. Hang on. We'll get you uh, back to Josh in just a couple of seconds. Yeah, Kramer, um, Jerry, Elaine, and your favorite character, Rev. Yeah, of the uh, of the force. <laughs> uh, Kramer. Okay. Um, none are good people. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they really are not. I mean, they're, they're all kind of scum of the earth, you know, in it for themselves. But funny, you know. And I, and yeah, I got. I like George as my second favorite. Um, they're all great, of course. But uh, Kramer and the Merv Griffin set episode is just you know my favorite. It's hard to believe it's been that long ago. I know. And and I know Rush did a better job of talking about low information voters. But when he says low-information in voters, he's talking about those who just don't pay close attention. Rush said, I mean, I don't ever remember saying dumb. You know, I mean, you know, they're politically illiterate. I mean, that doesn't make you dumb. It's not interested. Uh, just not very interested. And I think I think uh, Big Pen explains it better than I. Never overestimate the voters' interest, but never underestimate their intelligence. I mean, they're, they're not stupid. They just have choose, are, are probably doing the right thing by choosing to not pay as, uh, as close attention but um, I've coined the phrase kind of Seinfeld watcher out of um, my kid, my oldest son and, and wife are junkies. I mean, they really and truly, they, they can. I mean, we went on a tour in New York City that the real Cosmo Kramer, and he shows a housing complex that he lived in with Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. And Larry David worked a brief period of time as a writer on SNL. And, you know, in, 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 the, in the tour, uh, Kramer says, you know, I ended up okay. I mean, I didn't get like the two Jewish guys, but, uh, talking about Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, he said, they've got their own jets. I've got you on a bus riding around, you know, looking for a soup kitchen where the soup Nazi, you know, mm-hmm. episode was filmed. If you're somebody who enjoys uh, Seinfeld and you ever find yourself in the big apple, do that. I mean, take the tour. It's, um, I mean, if you don't care for Seinfeld, you'll, you're wasting your time. But if you're somebody who, uh, watched the sign, uh, the, uh, watched the sitcom, became interested in the characters and their interactions one with another. Do you have it's, a favorite character? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, Elaine. Really? Okay. She's just, I mean, typical New York City tough girl. You know, just, um, I can fit in with the boys. Don't worry about me one bit in the world. I, she's probably my, now, <laughs> it's a little bit, I've always said, we have these debates in our family about all in the family and, and Seinfeld. We've decided, <laughs> you know, our house has decided they're the two best sitcoms ever. The difference is you could go an episode or two without one of those central four figures, and you still got a good sitcom. There's no way All in the Family survives without R.G. Bunker. I mean, he was the central figure. What was my question earlier? The four central figures. I mean, Jerry's obviously the central figure. Uh, Name Seinfeld. But all four of those add some color or flair to the um to the sitcom you know all of the family is all about just bunker just you know bunker and i think i mean if you're a trump voter and don't know anything about all of the family 
go back and watch some of the old episodes, and you'll clearly understand, ah, to some degree, who the Trump voter is. Hey, good to be back. Appreciate your warm, or not so warm, welcome, <laughs> and um, and we'll try harder tomorrow. Enjoy your day.